This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18+, plus. rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Okay, welcome to the Chelsea Fancast, fueled by Guinness, powered by Celery, the show that can just about remember what it's like to go and watch football. Uh, Last Saturday should have been spent at Stamford Bridge watching Chelsea, hopefully beat Norwich to cement Champions League football next season. Uh, All of this seems a long, long way away at the moment, both visiting Stamford Bridge on a fortnightly basis and envisaging a return anytime soon. Still, the powers that be debate a potential return in June, in neutral venues, behind closed doors. It all seems so surreal and relatively unimportant with everything else that's going on at the moment. Even the players seem to get it, showing more concern for their own health and that of others by airing fears about returning sooner rather than later. Will it take a return before time and behind closed doors for the Premier League clubs to discover that football with fans without fans is nothing. Nada, zilch. Anyway, uh, tonight's show is called Speculate to Alleviate. I'll let you all figure out why, and you can all answer that at the end of the show, and a prize may or may not be given out. Anyway, Speculate to Alleviate, Chelsea Fancast number 503. Uh, and uh, in a way, Jonathan, nice to see you, by the way. Lovely to see you, Chidge, and lovely yeah. to be on the show with such esteemed company. Well, in, in a moment. Indeed. I was going to say, it's kind of partly due to the content that we're doing now. Maybe maybe the truth, you know, there is truth in the rumour that I have furloughed the very expansive cast list of the Chelsea fan cast. And we kind of, it's now a troika on a Monday, isn't it, basically? But I, I like to think that it's quality, mate, not quantity, but also, it's one of whom has lived through these eras and who has very few, has little memory of it, but then reads Tim Rolls's book and, and is then um, taken back to the, the the nightmarish quality of the of what he was forced to put himself through. That psychologically he has banished in order to get on well with his life and is now suffering, having to go through the horrors of these seasons. 
Well, you, you've, you've basically pretty much summarised the conversation I had uh, with our next guest, our guest this evening, in fact, when I said to him, would you like to come on the show? Well, what are you talking about? There's no football. Yeah, well, we're doing this series called 50 Years of Chelsea, right? So we go back to 1970 and then we're... Anyway, we're on 73, 74. Would you like to do it? Well, yeah, but you could have given me a better year. <laughs> Rick Glanville, Chelsea historian, author of the absolute Bible for this show at the moment, the Chelsea, the complete record, and Chelsea, the official history, and many, many, many more. Um, great friend, uh, imbiber of fine ales in the Cock Tavern where we assemble before a game, and also uh, a, a man who likes a Monte Cristo number three, as do Absolutely. I. What a delight to see you, Rick. And you too. Are you well? Well, yeah, very well, actually. Difficult circumstances for everyone. I'm horrified by the what's going on around the country but um thankfully my family's been unaffected so far so um uh just following instructions being sensible hoping for better days listening to great music yes and ordering lots of craft beer yes the man after my own heart and by the way talking of class music um sad news today dave greenfield the keyboard player for mm. The Strangers has passed, uh, has sadly bitten the dust thanks to co- uh, the COVID nineteen oh, pandemic, yeah. and it's re- it struck me actually because of course, like uh, you know, half the world's population, I've been doing these, you know, ten album challenge thing, and uh, the first album I chose uh, was one of the first albums I ever bought, which was uh, Rattus Norvegicus or Stranglers mm. Four. So that's right, really touched me that because oh dear, you know, yeah. this this uh, virus is taking a terrible toll of. Great musicians. Richie yeah. Cole is another yeah. jazz man who died a couple of days ago. Fella Cootie's drummer, Tony mm, Allen. Mm, yeah. Loads yeah. of reggae. Bohannon. Well. Yes, to Bohannon, Delroy Washington. There's loads of people that have yeah. that have been claimed by it, sadly. Rick, you've given me some inspiration, actually, because as we know, there's no football to talk about, and you know you, you're really pissed off at the fact I've asked you to do 1973-74. So, so actually, let's just do a two-hour show talking about music. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to do that. I'd love to do that. I used That'd to be, be a music journalist, so I can. Once, I know. I know. But once again, also being very old, I would come with up with stuff that neither of you will yeah. come up with. Well, Beethoven, Mozart, Tchaikovsky. Once again, I lived through it. Yeah, so, you were at yeah. all the gigs, weren't you? Mozart, Beethoven, Tchaikovsky, <laughs> Handel. You know, <laughs> love you to pieces. Right, let's get on with the show. We are before you all turn off. Actually, actually, no, you you already have. Sorry, you already. <laughs> no, before <laughs> you all turn off, uh, we are going to we'll have a nice football. chat. Though, yeah. Really. So Dodge you lot, we'll talk, we'll have a chat anyway, we haven't had a catch up with Rick for a while. Anyway, on the show tonight, uh, we discuss the latest on the Premier League's machinations on a return of football, applaud the players for their cautionary stance and uh, let Jonathan loose, I think I fear this is going to be a weekly thing, I've now formalised it, it tends to happen informally but I'm now formalising it, I'm going to let Jonathan loose on the latest transfer speculation so we can we can relive some of Jonathan's best and uh, best highlights from his Twitter week basically um, and in parts two and three uh, we will continue as I trailed uh, ruthlessly uh, in, the, in the introduction our 50 years of Chelsea series looking looking back at the 73-74 season um, now after the disappointment of uh, the previous season when uh, Tim toddled along last week and told us all about 72-73 where we finished 12th which was the worst we'd finished since we'd got promoted I think uh, things went from bad to worse it's going to be a really cheery show tonight people so strap in uh yeah, they went from bad to worse. We actually finished 17th, only one point outside the relegation zone. Uh, but I think for many people, and no doubt Rick and Jonathan can tell me all about this later, I do feel like uh, 
you know, like, like uh, I don't know, Frodo Baggins in the company of very wise, sagacious people <laughs> on a quest on a Monday night now. I get these lovely people actually there and can tell me all about what happened. But anyway, I think for most of us, certainly me, you know, in latter years, realised that this was really the end of the 1970, the most famous team in Chelsea's history, arguably, the 70 and 71 Cup winning side. And of course, we'll be saying farewell to the King in that process. Now, part four, of course, we're going to wrap up with your emails. We've got a couple this week that should keep us entertained. And uh, as ever, don't forget, you can listen to the show live every Monday at seven o'clock by going to Mixler, which is M-I-X-L-R dot com forward slash Chelsea hyphen fancast where of course you can join in the chat by posting on the live chat page and of course you can always tweet us at Chelsea fancast at any time you like and tell us what you think about what we're doing Chelsea news you name it anything to make us laugh in these miserable times we're up for it right after this very short interlude uh, we will be back to talk about football Well, I say we're going to talk about football, but of course there ain't no football, so there's not really much to talk about. But I kind of, um, it's a bit like a doctor doing his rounds. I'm kind of checking in with it all to see if it's still alive. Uh, There is a pulse still, I believe. But uh, the latest news, which uh, tickled me really, I mean the Premier League, they... They have no shame, Jonathan, do they? I have to say, they're commendable in the fact that they have no shame. But apparently, June, uh, St George's Park, uh, it's all going to happen in June, they reckon. Yeah, right. Hasn't a a foreign club just attempted to do a similar thing, slightly earlier than June, obviously, and then discovered that three members of one of the team, six members of the team had tested positive for coronavirus and so that then that then completely wrecked the whole of the idea i read that today on twitter i can't remember which country it was was it it wasn't um holland obviously because they've they've put, they've decided not everything on the head um uh, austria? I, I, it was, yeah, was it austria yeah but possibly was yeah they thought they would they, come they back were, and do the yeah, same they, thing they were trying to they were trying to relaunch their season so it could be that i don't know that it is but i know that they were there was somebody that did it, but immediately. But of course, it's going to exactly be the same problem with whatever anybody attempts to do in June. Is all it needs is for one one player to test positive for coronavirus. Everybody has to go inside for fourteen days. Well, that, what happens to that team? What happens to that training? What happens? I mean, the whole thing gets knocked on their head. Uh, but they're just so it's it, it's hugely financial, isn't it? All these these des- this this these desires to to get the game. Uh, um, started as soon as possible. It's because they just see the millions and millions disappearing like sand through their fingers. And uh, I love the fact, which I, in fact I hate the fact that every single time they have a meeting, they they refer to shareholders. It's always that's always the first thing in their mind. We had a meeting of the shareholders. Well, could we not have a say the Premier League? We had a meeting of of like-minded football people who appreciate it rather than thinking immediately this is a business well they're bit they are businesses mate whether we like it or not yeah. no, and in, they own in, shares. In, 
entirely, but it just you're given a share. It, it reveals the nakedness of it. I'd rather that we discussed football, we did all about football, rather than immediately, because uh, you know that the response is going to be, how do we get round this? How do we do something without consulting the government? Or the government are attempting, we're putting forward arguments to get us out of this situation, which ultimately will be deleterious to the to the uh, the health of the footballers, in my view. Rick. I just can't see how on earth it happens. Rick, um, yeah. Frank's, I thought Frank's comments, uh, I mean, I, I feel for Frank because, you know, he, he's, a, he's, a, he's a very intelligent man, a yeah. uh, very sensitive man too. I think he, you know, he has his finger on the pulse. He's very good with the media, as we know. Yeah. And he's in an unenviable position, really, isn't he? Because, of course, he'll, he'll fully understand, as do I, to be fair, you know, how important it is on a financial basis for the for the club to be playing football again but of course you know like a lot of us he he, he sensed the mood i think in the country and I, I mean every time you and i jonathan we're on twitter i re I, i'm surprised by this in, in, in a sense but i i totally sense that the mood amongst football fans about certainly that those of us who are lucky enough to go week in week out is that you know what there's more important things here and actually no yeah. it ain't the right time and I think the, the point about Frank is, as, you've, uh, as you say, he's intelligent, he's thoughtful. I think he has a high, he has a moral compass as well. And I think that's where that's coming from, um, that, he's, uh, that he's rooted in the real world, the way that he's talking about it. And, you know, just as uh, it's not uh, required by football supporters to worry about, trans you know, you can say whatever transfer you want and they'll... Uh, you know, spend fifty million pounds on that player or the other. That's our imperative. Uh, uh, well, that's that's down to us. We, you know, we can even we don't have to think about the figures and the finance and the shareholders and all the rest of it. Well, Frank doesn't really. I mean, he might have that in the back of his mind, and I know he's smart enough to realise that 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 is that the club is a, a, a running a business and they will take a financial hit. But it's not beholden to him to look at the financial argument he has to look at protecting his players protecting their families um it's quite clear that supporters aren't going to be uh, rolling into the matthew harding or the uh, shed up or the east down for quite a while at least until next season and possibly uh, you you're hearing until the new year is another possibility and I think the other thing that he perhaps isn't saying uh, is that we need to have in place, if we are going to go back to having gatherings of 22 players on a football pitch bumping into each other, we're going to have to have tracking and testing like we've never seen before in this country. We're going to have uh, tests that work, and we don't know that that's the case terribly at the moment. And we're going to need availability that doesn't impinge on the more weighty concerns of care homes, key workers, schools, all of those kinds of things. Now, what did Carlo Ancelotti call football? He called it the most important of all the things that don't really matter. And that is the case. What matters is the health of the nation. Football is very much second to that. Yeah, absolutely. I, well, I, <clears throat> I actually quoted um, most of Carlo's brilliant comments i have to say the only one saying it in football at the time but i quoted him extensively in that article i wrote for football london the other week saying exactly the same you know that this is all very stupid and spurious and the only reason they're really wanting to get back is because they don't want to have to pay sky and bt 762 million quid 
you know. I mean, why can't they just be transparent? I mean, everybody knows it, and it does my head in. One thing I would say, chaps, Jonathan, um, and Rick was kind of mentioning uh, Frank, obviously, you know, his his primary job, of course, is to be responsible for the players. And I, I have to say, I was, I was somewhat heartened by the players' reaction to this. And as Rick was saying, he said, you know, like all of us, their only concern really at the moment should be the health and, and welfare of their families and themselves, actually. That, 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 that's that's immensely laudable and as it should be have have many of them returned home to their 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 countries of origin do you know did they get out early or are they still all uh i know i know william went back to brazil some yeah. have i think uh some haven't i don't think i think pedro decided to stay here because uh, i've seen him writing about the fact that he's he's separated from his family um so and his seal that. yes and his seal and his pet seal <laughs> I didn't know that. Did you not know he had a pet seal? No, no it's true, man. Quite, Google that's it. Quite cruel to me. <laughs> no, no, he made it. He made his pet seal a birthday cake. They get on very well. Is he in fact, they've the sealed the relationship. Seal? You could is say what it is. Yeah. Where do you get that vape pipe that you're 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 using there, Dave? Where do they get it from? No, what is in What's it? In I'm it? just wondering. Are you sure you made this okay, up? This is a competition quiz. Birthday cake for a seal. No, no, it, it, <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. What's it? They call it. Is it CBD? They call it. I don't yes. know. I'm, I'm not. Oh, yes, down, yes. I'm not down with a youth, but apparently, <laughs> you can get cannabis oil to put in your vapes. So, so I'm told by the youngsters. At least his pet seal will be useful at eight o'clock on a Thursday. Yeah. Oh, very good. I'm gonna. No, I'm gonna Google it for you while while you answer the question. That I can't remember. I was going to ask you. When you ask. Oh, me I know. Question. Where are the players, Rick? <laughs> that was the question, well, wasn't it? It's difficult to tell. I think most of them are just isolating at home. Um, and as I said, I think Pedro has is decided to stay here. Um, in certain parts of the country, people are doing this bubble thing, aren't they, where you get sort of high, hybrid, where people who might be, feel quite lonely are going in with their in-laws or going in with someone else. And I suppose uh, if you think about several of our players are from overseas, that's a really difficult thing. If zooming overseas to, your, to Brazil or whatever, uh, William has gone back, I think. I don't know whether he's still there or... Or whether whether he's come back, it's. Um, uh, I know that the the training ground has been opened for kind of uh, you know socially distanced training, and we've all seen the videos of people doing their own keep fit exercises and talking about how they're being given personal reg uh, regimens. Have the police given follow. permission for that, Rick? Do you know the police were given permission for the the for training because. Uh, um, I mean, my personal trainer isn't allowed to train me, and gyms aren't open. But why would, therefore, a football club be able to to have training? Is it because it's on a wide expanse of green? They're not allowed to go inside or something. Is it very restricted? I'm just remember, the remember that's their work. You know, you're when you've seen their work. Oh, okay, yeah, it's, the, it's your personal trainer's work, but it's not yours. Uh, and uh, I presume it's the government guidelines were quite woolly. They did say that if you can do your work and maintain social distancing, then go ahead and do it. So I presume that's where that's... I, ha I haven't actually examined the, uh, league, the league. You know, there are people attempting to do voiceovers by... They've opened studios in Soho, mm. and you go to reception and you wash your hands, and you then have a completely um, human-free wander into the studio. Uh, mm. And um, uh, and you have to talk in. I was saying, do you have to talk into the microphone with a face mask on? But apparently, no. You're allowed to take <laughs> that off. But uh, 
Um, Sounds like so something it, out of Toast of London. And yeah, 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 very, very yeah. He would, he, he'd have a great. Uh, he wouldn't. He'd, <laughs> he'd have great difficulty in being understood, wouldn't he? Even if he had his face mask on or not. But um, uh, yeah. So yeah, I suppose it's yeah. It's considered um, uh, it, it, you would be preventing them from doing their their work if they weren't allowed to turn up. I'm just intrigued at how you would maintain. Yeah, yeah, but how you would maintain it? Might just must be flimsy training. It must just be a kind of. Aerobic yeah. training, rather than any, or exactly you're passing right. the ball from yards away. There's no physical contact involved. Yeah, exactly. That would, that would completely put the mockers on the whole thing. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. Well, I've got breaking news here on Pedro and the sea lion, which I know yeah. you've been desperate for me to find. Desperate, desperate. Uh, <laughs> just to prove it. Sorry for those of you listening in black and white, but can you see yeah. Pedro with sea lion? It looks like a cat. It wasn't a seal, Rick. It was a sea lion. Oh, oh very different. Okay, but it says it's it says cat, you've just shown us a it's cat. not a cat. I, I'll make it bigger. All right, that's a kin sea lion, mate. Can you see? It's a sea oh, lion. Oh yeah, from the other oh. angle, it was no. It's been superimposed. Chid. It's not been superimposed. It's anyway, photoshopped. It says it says it's during photoshopped seal during shush, in his pool. Shush during during the visit. He could enjoy the majestic orcas in Orca Ocean, learn about the exhibitions with our Discovery Tour, and enjoy the experience of Planet Penguin recently renovated he also had time to meet the lovely red panda couple and reunite with dolphins and sea lions one of which is a godson of pedro so maybe it's oh, an adoption he's, he's, he's gone yeah. on a visit he's visited he's visited a, the local aquarium he's, he's a godfather it, he's a godfather to a sea lion mate but he doesn't have it he doesn't have the he doesn't have it in his bath which That's is what, what you were implying so apart yeah. from the fact that i said it was a seal uh, and that he uh, owned it. And he owned it. A, well, he does, doesn't he, was, in a sense? It was no, he sponsors it. Yeah, he's just sponsored a seal. Okay. Well, I, I, still, I think I'm claiming at least 40% accuracy with that story, which is good oh, enough for me. That's great. I think you should put it out there. Let's uh, do it. We'll now, uh, put it on Twitter now. It'll be Jonathan, great. It'll be like transfer rumours. Jonathan, that was a brilliant segue, talking about 40% accuracy <laughs> with stories, because I'm now, as I, I wait for this now, almost as with as much bated breath as I wait for our exalted, uh, exalted guest to tell us all about seasons before I was born. Um, but what is the transfer news this week, Jonathan? Well, apparently a, a, a deal for Sancho is 90%. Is it? 90, 90% what? Bullshit? 90% but certain, completely certain. <laughs> but, but bizarrely, I then got a message from somebody because I, I responded in my usual... Um, I don't know if you noticed, Rick, you've probably got better things no, to I do. No, I do. No, I do. Whenever I comment on a transfer rumour, yeah. I, I either, <laughs> when I lose my temper, I say this is bollocks. But yeah. if, I, if I, I tend not to want to lose my temper because I then get abused. So I put, <laughs> I just put things that I never get a reply for from ever. Well, unless it's somebody I know, because was it um, um, Chelsea Independent Pete Sampson the other day, he replied in a slightly slightly miffed, and his response to me when a, well, his response was, "What are the club just sitting there with their fingers up their asses?" Is what his response to me. Yeah, was. it's and government I, guidance. I, 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 said, yeah. <laughs> I thought that was, a, was supposed to be a um, you know one of those light bulbs you're supposed to shove up your jacksy. Shortly <laughs> after drinking I'm bleach, bleach. <laughs> I, we live suddenly <laughs> we're into a world of your own that I don't think I want to know about. <laughs> No, this is medical advice from Donald Trump about how to combat COVID. You shove a light bulb up well, your ass bulb, and drink, oh, yes, drink a yes, pint of bleach. Yes, I, I thought you'd sat on a light bulb and then... And, uh, or, no, sorry, I thought you'd use that as an excuse in A&E. You know, when people are inserting yes, things up their bodies. Stranger exactly. things have happened, anyway. Yes, stranger things have, indeed. Um, 
But anyway, so I, I got a. Uh, I responded in uh, as my usual. This is unlikely to happen, which is the kind <laughs> of thing I put. Or um, um, what's the other thing I like putting? Given that we are suffering at the moment from a pandemic, the chances of any transfers taking place are slim. This is the kind of thing that I obviously put. Which I'm apparently people are always saying we admire your restraint, Jonathan. I like that. That's good. It's <laughs> nice to be able. Anyway, but this week the the Sancho one. Um, the, it's almost a done deal. And I, I think I wrote a paragraph saying, once again, um, I don't know if you've noticed, slightly sarcastically, I don't even want to do that. I don't want to even <laughs> give them the opportunity to think. Um, I, put, I don't know if you've noticed, but we appear to be locked down and um, most clubs are probably going to go bankrupt. So Chelsea doing a deal for Sancho is possibly not going to be taking place. And I received a message informing me that the account was fake and a parody that I'd responded to. And there are several transfer parody Chelsea accounts out there, which mm. I have completely fallen for hook, line and sinker and <laughs> responded to every time. So um, uh, I'm now going to be thinking, hmm, perhaps I should be more careful in future when getting wound up by this. But the, what, what did happen was there is suddenly another player appeared. And I can't remember his name, somebody I'd never heard of. And it was taken very seriously. And somebody looked at it and somebody pointed this out to me. It said, Jonathan, I think you should, um, in fact, Jonathan Kidd, I think you should look at this, the, the provenance of all of these transfer rumours. <coughs> and they found some bloke in Italy who had great credibility, but in actual fact wasn't a journalist or anything. And he just appeared to be some bloke who clearly made stuff up. And the response to this, this guy wrote this lovely, lovely phrase. This chap wrote it, wrote, he said, Every single thing that comes from this man is fake, unsubstantiated nonsense, he wrote. And yet, somehow, because he's uh, Italian, is, is liked by a few clubs or whatever, somehow he's managed to do that. Everything he said is, uh, is taken notice of by journalists. He's followed by a large number of journalists. And this guy is absolutely making everything up. And it's total clickbait which is oh you know it, it confirms exactly what i thought about all these rumors in the first place because they are absolutely stupid but if you think about it i'm being very unfair because if people haven't got football to, to haven't got anything to talk about they want to to discuss whether chillwell is coming you know uh, to play left back and all right yeah we needed a left back possibly um uh, even though I, I think some of the uh, the youth would play there better. But, we'll, you know, by the time the football starts again, some of these boys who've been youth youth players will be old enough now to, to have matured into the first team. And we need to buy anybody. There's no need to buy anybody at all. I mean, actually, that, that's a really good point. And I've been, I've been, we kind of touched on this last week. Oh, by the way, um, I think Haaland's coming when it's all gone because apparently he would have liked to have played with Frank Lampard. Oh, I saw that, yes. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah, 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 yeah. But no, no, I think the serious point about this actually is a good one for Rick because I, I know, obviously, you know, Rick's quite a little bit closer to the club than we are in, in, in some respects. It, it's And also, of course, as a, as a historian, Rick, is something that I'm yeah. sure you will appreciate. I mean, we talked a few weeks ago about the comparison between what's going on now and the Second World War. And although there are, there are clearly not direct comparisons, there are some similarities. And one of them, of course, is that this has put um, a halt on a lot of players' uh, footballing careers. And, and I, feel, I feel particularly sad for those approaching the end of their career who will be denied, denied possibly a year, who knows, and also, I mean, you know, think about people like uh, Billy Gilmore, who who came in and was the player of the match for the two matches he played and, and now can't play again. 
and and others like him. I mean, the Mason Mounts, the Tamoris of this world as well. It's okay, they've got time on their side, but the momentum for them was really gathering a pace, and I feel very sad for them that it stopped. Yeah, and also, um, yeah, exactly, form. And have we seen the last of some of these, the older players? Mm -hmm. I, uh, you know, we didn't get a chance to say goodbye to them, and that's something that every footballer, whether they mean it sincerely or not, talks about after they've left the club and they come back or whatever. Never got the chance to say goodbye, you know, wave and acknowledge the bond that was there. Um, and you're right, in the First World War, the Second World War, that is what happened. Players had their, that, well, obviously those were conflagrations that lasted for five, uh, five years, you know, uh, and hopefully we aren't going to be going through that with, with this. And, it, uh, and obviously, lots of people went off to serve. They went off as servicemen and special constables and all these kinds of things. Um, so there was a. It must be a. It's a completely different thing in that respect. In that they're just kicking their heels, trying to stay fit. But you can still lose. You can still lose that fitness. You can still, uh, or you can get, regain it. That's the other thing. Don't forget, people like, you know, if we, if we, if we, well, who else? Kante. In, in, apart from, you know, Kante and Harry Kane, obviously he, he'll be gain, regaining fitness. Those teams that have lost those players up to now, if they did stage, if they did, for somehow they managed to stage this kind of <clears throat> end of season bonanza with all the clubs, um, you know, some certain teams will have players who were injured back then and have not played the games and suddenly they're fit again and hopefully raring to go. But it is a terrible, I think, I would imagine the terrible thing for lots of them is the knowing what athletes are like, uh, that they can't express themselves physically at all. It must be a really, really frustrating yeah. time for them. And I think... At least even during the Second World War, they had the opportunity to play all those games, didn't they? Uh, absolutely right. Guesting for other clubs. Um, absolutely right. And I'm surprised, in fact, that Chelsea didn't take advantage. Did they take advantage of anybody? Did they? With Tommy Lawton, was he? He came down and played for Chelsea, didn't he, during the no, war? Tommy Lawton and signed after the war. Exactly. But we had Matt Busby. Uh, we yeah, had Walter yeah. Winterbottom, who is one of the one of the great coaches in English football. To be honest, yeah. we had um, Joe Mercer. Um, Ron Greenwood came through in uh, World War Two for us as well. Uh, he and then played for the club after the war, didn't he? Absolutely. But we had loads and loads of of guests and when we won the the uh, football league south cup in 1945 against Millwall wasn't it yeah her majesty the queen her first ever football club match yeah. that she'd ever been to so she's chelsea then rick oh cool. clearly what well, her, her old man was That's royal blue mate and uh, exactly uh, but when we won that we had something like eight guest players <laughs> Chelsea. <laughs> was it? And was then Mil we signed Tommy Lawton and all these like, after that. So there, there, there was kind of a bonus after the war, yeah, both yeah. in 1919 yeah. when we signed Jack Cock, and who was a brilliant, brilliant uh, striker. And then we signed, as you rightly say, J.K. Uh, Tommy Lawton, uh, Tommy Walker, Danny Winter. We spent tens of thousands immediately after the war. So there was a kind of recognition that to get the whole thing back up and running again, invest heavily. And I do wonder whether there'll be a little bit of that spirit again uh, yeah, when football yeah. does come back, that teams will think, we haven't been able to do anything. We've got to get the crowds back. So let's splash and get some exciting players in. If they have the cash, Rick. 
Yeah, well, of course. But I think yeah. what well, it's also, as we've said before, Judge, if some of the clubs go bankrupt, they'll be they'll they'll be all all, all lacking in in funds. They'll be easy pickings. This is this is one of the reasons to me why the transfer market is so to actually mention players being transferred now is so ridiculous because the the whole value of money has changed over the last few months. So uh, by by the summer, whenever it starts again, you might discover that some of the lower clubs have got really top players who they're willing to flog at a at a a much lower price mm. than would have been the case six months Chaps, ago. Chaps, one thing I want to say, how good a deal now does it seem like what we did with three when we did it? Uh, yeah. At the top of the market, perhaps. Now, to, yeah. if you were a club that was negotiating for a, a deal starting next season and you or the season after, now, different environment. Wouldn't look so clever at all, would it? By, by the way, JK, is, um, is easy picking slim picking's brother by any chance? <laughs> Just asking for a friend. Uh, judging from your giggling, I'd say no. <laughs> no, I was I was admiring your um, your punning. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you very very much. Very kind of you, sir. All right, enough of all of that. That's certainly enough of my awful puns. Let's hope that's the first and last one tonight. Um, right, quick plug for uh, ye old CFC UK. Uh, as you know, of course, there's no football on at the moment. So, of course, we can't sell it from the stall opposite Fulham Broadway. But you can still get it. Uh, you can, and have been for ages, apparently. You can get it digitally by subscribing online at cfcuk.net. Dot, uh, yeah, cfcuk.net. But you can also get it. Um, he who must not be named will mail it to you. All you have to do is send your address via email and then pay using PayPal to cfcuk at gate17.uk. And I do believe that Tim's uh, also been putting them on eBay. I don't understand how that works, but uh, follow Tim Rolls on Twitter Mm -hmm. and you'll get some sort of an idea. So there you go. Um, I think there's a a JT special coming out next. I've written a piece on JT or I re-edited one that I wrote ages ago. But anyway, it's coming out soon, that's for sure. Right, Uh, after the break, uh, I can't wait. This is, I have to say... I'm I'm really enjoying this. I, I can't believe I came up with such a great idea, but it's been a lot of fun. I'm also getting people on we don't don't get on very often, like Rick and, and, and Tim, of course. There's a few others we've got lined up too. So after the break, 50 years of Chelsea, and we're looking at 1973-74. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to Chidge and the Boys on the Chelsea Football Fancast. Total nutters and proper Chels. Footballfancast.com Welcome back, everybody. This is the Chelsea Fancast, and I'm joined as ever by uh, the voluble uh, Jonathan Kidd. How lovely to be described as voluble. So, somebody actually asked Jonathan on 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 Mixler, Bonnie Rig, the lovely Bonnie Rig Blues. That she says, "Is he still locked in his studio? How many weeks is that now?" I think, just to, judging from how, off, how how much he's talking tonight, I'd, I'd say it's been quite a number of weeks. J.K., you're going a bit stir crazy, love. <laughs> I completely am. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Um, I had a now, three-hour chat with a, a studio engineer uh, who I hadn't seen for ten years. At, at midnight, three o'clock in the morning, we're still chatting away. No way. Bloody hell. Right, uh, as well. He's looking good. Good, good, good. Uh, we've also got uh, a very esteemed guest tonight, old mucker of both Jonathan and mine, uh, oh. Mr. Rick Glanville, who, of course, is Chelsea's official 
historian. I'm, I'm not going to list all the books Rick's done because he's done so many and they're all brilliant. Um, Rick, we, you know, you haven't been on the podcast for a while. I was trying to think actually earlier on today. When was the last time you were on this this funny little last, show? Last year, I think. It was, was it? Yeah, I think ah, so. Oh, blimey. Um, yes, I remember now. Always, always love it. Always yeah. happy to be on here. Lovely stuff. Always we love having you. Always happy to try and uh, prove the history that we have and even the bad stuff like we're about to... Tackle. Well, indeed, indeed. I, do you know it's funny this because we're also, which I might rope you in to do one of these if you're around at the moment. But I'm doing a thing on Friday because we lost the Love Sports Show on Fridays because mm. uh, they've kind of, you know, mothballed it all. Um, and I thought, well, sod that. We'll we'll still put some content out on a Friday. So one of the things I've been wanting to do for years and years and years on the show, but never get time to do, is for each one of us to kind of recount talking of history. You know how we found Chelsea and and what <laughs> our favourite players and favourite matches how how we got here you know yeah, yeah, yeah. which is a lovely thing to do um so I'd love to rope you in for one of those at yeah, one yeah, point. So sure, only about half an hour forty minutes so yeah. it's, they're fun to do it we might get, be my pleasure to do it yeah we have a, anyway it might be my turn on Friday because Tony interview we I did Tony right Tony Glover and then he right afterwards interviewed me. Uh, Tony didn't quite get the format of it so mine's twice as long as everybody else's to take account of the fact that. Tony felt obliged to answer every question as well. You know, <laughs> isn't that your prerogative, Chich? Isn't that you know? What, what's my prerogative? Well, you can take as long as you like in the interview. No, no, but I didn't. In, I didn't intend for Tony. The, the, the art of interviewing is to speak much less than the person you're interviewing. Do what you mean? He was doing that. Okay, right. Yeah, bless him. But it's it's quite funny. We had an absolute giggle, and my story is very different from everybody else's because I'm a complete plastic compared to you lot. You know, I mean, I didn't come from a massive football family. Dad was a Portsmouth fan, kind of, and very different journey. So it might the people might be interested, and of course, my uh, my any reputation that I had before will be completely put in the toilet as a result. But there you go. Now, Rick, Rick was absolutely correct. Um, and actually, the reason I got onto that was because, of course, I wasn't there. This is what I would term when we were shit, really. Yes. You know, and and I think as on a historical point. You know, all this stuff, we, we kind of wear it as a badge of honour in a sense. But actually, when you look at it, there were very few periods in our history when we could actually unequivocally say, yes, we were shit then. Um, I would say very late, late 70s, early 80s, undoubtedly. But I think this is a moment in time that we were definitely heading in the, in that direction. Although, of course, all things are relative. And at the end of the day, we're still in the first division. Um, just to keep you all up to speed from last week when we had Tim on, and of course, we we, we talked a lot about... Uh, the redevelopment of the ground last week and uh, as the season started uh, the much vaunted East Stand uh, was still really half built yeah. and and not only that but there were all sorts of other issues going on as well a lot of the problems were to do with the I think this is something that we will talk about later on actually but the in- industrial and economic context was very important week. yeah three-day week the oil crisis the housing market crashed all these things were going on as you said three-day week but all of it really meant that we were thus far uh 108 pounds in debt this this will be important for later reasons um now the first thing i wanted to talk to you about rick uh is before the season started but there was this infamous tour to iran wasn't there iran people chelsea went on a summer tour to iran Yes, and in uh, the light of subsequent events, the overthrows shortly after that, that's right. It didn't yeah. look like a, a great choice. It was the, at the per- personal um, invitation of the the Shah, and um, because he wanted his son to learn how to play football, and he so Chelsea did 
you have this idea of Chelsea going over there and Tommy Baldwin is taking some Iranian youngsters through their paces. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're not not swigging uh, <laughs> and things like that. Um, and uh, one of the things was that um, when they when the team came back, the Shah ordered two full kits, one home, one away, that he's. Uh, his son's team would play in. So somewhere there are some 22 Chelsea kits uh, over in Tehran or, or wherever. But I think what you're looking at, and you're, you're right to point it out, was the fragmentation of that brilliant team that had been a, a success really since the mid-60s. Um, you know, winning, getting to finals, winning cups. And Top five of the league. Absolutely. And... Um, uh, top, we'd been top since six since uh, 67, 68. Uh, and then we were 12th in 73. And as I would have been 12, 13 during this season, and I was looking through my programmes that, uh, unfortunately, I didn't keep many of them, but the ones I did keep, and I was looking at that and thinking, you know what, actually, there was still, there was still a, a, a kind of, we were clinging to this idea that this would be a typical Chelsea thing, that they would get their act together eventually and we'd probably finish, you know, fifth or sixth and then uh, Ozzy and Huddy and uh, and Charlie and all the rest of them would make it up with Dave Sexton and uh, they'd stop their gallivanting and get serious again. And uh, unfortunately, it, it happened momentarily, really, in the middle of the season. But it was a, it was a, one of these things where when you're, you know, think you're 12, 13 years old, and you're in a North London school and every, you're a Chelsea fan and everyone is laughing at the debacle of Chelsea, losing our first four matches. Um, players on the transfer list all the time being dropped, uh, going out of the League Cup first round, going out of the FA Cup first round. We became used after this season to this notion that your season's over would be sung at us in January because all we had to go for for quite a few seasons after this really was relegation or promotion chasing. We weren't competing for anything like we had been for the previous uh, few years. And we love symbolism at our club, whether it's inadvertent or deliberate. You had the grandiose East Stand, uh, a monument to vaingloriousness rising on one side of the pitch and then you had uh, simultaneously this great uh, team that everyone in football loved diminishing gradually players leaving being replaced by less good players so you had this kind of you know this weird uh, imbalance in a way. an imbalance and when you looked at the st- the stand because you're right the east stand wasn't finished it still had the boarding all along the side you had temporary uh, uh, dressing rooms, you had to walk through the car park to get to them everyone was complaining about it um, but the East Stand still looked like some kind of uh, well I, I think never had we looked more like the proper neighbour of Brompton Cemetery we looked like a moribund club mm. uh, towards the end of 19 uh, towards the end of that season it, it, it really, there's a wonderful um I mean, you know, Tim, uh, we'll get to this when we kind of do the summing up in a sense, but in in Tim's book, 
Stanford Bridge is falling down. He calls it systemic dysfunction, anarchy, and chaos. Which I just thought, if you want to describe that season in 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 you know four or five words, that would be it. I mean, Rick, I absolutely concur with you actually, because you know even before a ball was kicked, there was that it was kind of it was the end of the road, the end of the Kings of the Kings Road era, and it, it, for the, it the impression. Didn't have to be. It didn't have to be. I agree with that. But you could you could see the signs, couldn't you? I mean, you know, just look at the transfer list. You got Tommy Baldwin, Johnny Boyle, Mar- uh, you know, John Dempsey, Marvin Hinton, all on the transfer list. Eddie McCready, he was really literally on his last legs that season. In fact, I, th- I think he, did, you know, midway through Injuries, the season was his, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he didn't play again, did he? I think don't think for the club after this season. Yeah. No. Um, Ian Hutchinson had played like eight games. He's out for months and months. And eight, yeah. yeah, you know, so he he was, people obviously, I mean, as ever, you know, both Aussie and uh, Sexton were desperate for him to play. Aussie always felt that Hutch would get the best out of him and arguably he was right. So you could see that coming through. We also, interestingly enough, had youngsters coming through, didn't we? I yeah. mean, in, in wonderful Chelsea, you know, I, in a sense, this is very Chelsea out of sync. We all know that a few years later they really would come through, but of course, a lot of these youngsters and what I think they've been in the FA Youth Cup semi final, hadn't they? Yeah, Is it around yeah. that and time? Are you talking about? I mean, you're well, well, right. Wilkins, the Wilkins is yeah. Locke, Swain, Droy, Britain, yeah, Britain, all these yeah. people were coming through. Um, but the, there was a reason why they were getting a chance, and that is because the the club was strapped for cash because everything was being spent on the stadium and. For the uh, all the kind of economic reasons that uh, you you kind of kind of touched on before, uh, there was a, a, a an international crisis, financial crisis. The cost of everything shot up. The cost of labour, inflation. Uh, inflation. You had a because of the um, uh, problem with oil supply. Uh, all the cost of electricity and oil and petrol and everything shot up. <clears throat> And the government decided they couldn't run electricity stations, so we had we were uh, regularly having power cuts. If you remember, the three-day week, yeah. And Chelsea, this is how poor we because we'd invested so much in this East End, which was supposed to go all the way around. That was supposed to be the don't forget the first of four stands, the same. It looked good, didn't it? The design looked good for that stadium, but it was was way too ambitious. JK, it was excellent. Yeah. But way too ambitious. Yeah. Um, they period. hadn't. They hadn't kind of uh, saved. You know, mended the roof when the uh, when it was sunny. They were spending too much money on something and using unproven architects. Darwin and Dark had never done a, a football stadium before. So that and lots of what they did was impractical. Anyway, that's one side of it. So you have this three-day week, a symbol again of how poor we were was that we couldn't afford an electricity generator. So we played one match. I think it was our lowest crowd for 54 years. Or Burnley. Something. Burnley. 11 o'clock, wasn't it? It was No, it was 3 o'clock on a Wednesday. Oh, that's right. Sorry, three, yeah, there was an 11 uh, o'clock kickoff, wasn't there? But could, it wasn't that one. Who could go to a 3 o'clock on a Wednesday? 8,171. Uh, because we didn't have a generator. When we played Tottenham later in the season, they had a generator... And with two minutes to go, we were winning, and the, the the floodlight started to fade and splutter a bit. So the referee <laughs> blew the whistle ninety <laughs> seconds early. <laughs> yeah, 
That's a symbol for the season, if ever there was one, isn't it? Can I, I mean, can I just ask JK, JK, go on. Can I just ask a question, which is, um, uh, when Mourinho um, struggled in his, his Anus Horribilis, mm. um, and it was supposed to be player power, mm. and uh, he was sacked, and you can't help but think in the same way that, that Sexton clearly had ideas about how the team would play, that alienated the uh, the workforce, as it were, because he, he wouldn't ever let Hudson play midfield. Mm. He constantly put him on the wing. And, he, and, it, and, I, and the origins of this is also were the season before getting rid of Weller, who was a fantastic winger. Well, he and, played him in a different position as well. And he, don't forget, right, he played right. Rosie in midfield and, you know. But he had this idea, didn't he, Sexton, of specifically having a, um, a way of playing that was industrious, but also involved... The ball being centred, so Hausman and and Hutchinson actually became very important. And the fact that he wouldn't, he, he was trying to get Hutchinson fit, and it just didn't happen, and that was horrendous. And I suppose that's why he kept Garner, why he bought Garner, because he was a cheap, but he wanted somebody good in the who could replicate Hutchinson for Osgood. And yet the board seemed to be very, um, they exhibited. I'm trying to think of the correct word here, an element of pusillanimity I can't even say it they were pusillanimous by mm. not gripping the situation and saying well actually we can't get rid of these players they are stars and, yeah. and but he somehow managed to whether they because of his constant desire for discipline he, and alienating them it, it it just meant that that they just seemed to to rebel more and more and more and surely somebody should have come in at Board level well, and said, "I think we can't do this." I, want, I want to, yeah, I want to get into this later because you're yeah. right. In a sense, that's that that is the fulcrum of this season. But there's a really good point, I think, to to bring out of that, J.K. That really happened at the start of the season, which I because I wouldn't know because I, I I wasn't there to see this. But you know, in my mind, John Hollins is it was a wonderful midfield player. And in fact, you you yeah. well, you yeah, you could right say back. you could yeah. you could say that him and Hudson were a great. Uh, midfield pairing, if you if you like, in modern parlance, like having uh, Macaulay and Lampard together, or Sen and Lampard together, there was that kind of synergy between them. But but Rick, he started the season weirdly playing Hollands at left back. Right, but back. we all we all sorry, right? Well, okay, right back. Blame yeah. Tim. Tim McQueen was left back. Yeah, yeah, but I don't think he was fit. Oh, he played the first few games. Mm. Anyway, Hollands is playing in defence. We also had striker. Problems as well, and you're right. We had an appalling start, um, Jonathan. I'm, 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 you're a little bit older than Rick, aren't you? So you you may well have made it to more of these. But we lost three on the spin, didn't we? One nil to Derby up there, to a John McGovern goal. Uh, we lost to Burnley one nil away, uh, and uh, we we lost to Sheffield United at home two one. Which done. I I saw that on YouTube. Tony Curry scored an absolute pile driver of a goal. Fabulous. Tony Carey was brilliant for us. He was the kind of player we needed to buy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and um, he was a Chelsea fan, and we were kind of linked with him at the time, but we didn't. We went for the bargain basement. We went yeah. for the, you know, we went to South End United for to, uh, you know, to get a player. Or you know, we, when you think of what we did, what we, oh. you know, when Doherty bought Charlie Cook and he said and he replaced Terry Venables, he said, "I know what I'm letting go, and I know what I'm bringing in," and that was a trade up. We traded down regularly yeah. in the early 70s. And so the problems that you have and, uh, and the benefits for the young players were all about the quality of player. And where it went off the rails, I think, the other thing you have to think about is uh, I'm a great believer that coaches have 
like a three and a half, four year sell by date. And then players don't listen anymore. They turn off, they switch off. Oh, I know what you're going to say. You want me to do this at corners. You want this, da, da, da. And don't forget, the other mark of this season was a number of testimonials. Now, players got a testimonial when they've been playing for a club for 10 years. This was a tired squad, you know, and it needed to be, needed renovation. It didn't fusion with, yeah, exactly. So either you say, let's make a, a great thing about your Ray Wilkins and the rest of them. I mean, he was 17. You can't build a team around him. And Gary Locke and Ian Britton and the likes of those. But really, we needed those transitional players. We needed a Tony Curry's Keith Wellow, if he'd stayed and been played in the right position, I think would have been a great player. Great for player. Well. I loved him. Sold I sold him for me, money. He was one of my favourite players of that yeah. period. He just fantastic winger. I just, the joy. And that's what I was saying, saying I've said in all these shows, the the pain of having these players that you really did relate to yeah. as being the future, being yeah. transferred, was just so... It was Kemba, such a bitter, bitter No pill. one talked to Kemba, did they, JK? No yeah. one what, sorry, no one what? No one talked to Steve Kemba. No, no. People looked upon him as being... You, when you say, Cheech, about Alan Hudson not being played in midfield, Steve Kemba was playing in the Hudson yeah. role. Yeah. yeah. He wasn't... He was criminal. That, that was a managerial, player, but, ridiculous yeah. managerial decision that well, yeah. I never understood. I didn't. And, and I have to say one aspect of the season, just before we forget about it, was how Peter Hausman had a, um, uh, a testimonial and yeah. only 10,000 people turned up for yeah. it. And which was uh, considering what a great servant he'd been to the club. And then it's eventually being, what was he at 20, 27 being sold to Oxford. And his peak. Interesting yeah. you mentioned that. Just there was a dispute between Osgood and Sexton, a big falling out just before right at the that end. testimonial. Just before the testimonial, right? And at the Cafe Royale, uh, Cafe Royal, I should say, where they went for the testimonial dinner afterwards, David Webb organised a kind of uh, rapprochement between a reconciliation between Ozzy and Dave Sexton. And Ozzy came along and was outside, and Webby went in and said, he said to Ozzy, come on, I'm going to, Dave's inside, I'm going to get him come out and shake hands with you. And he went in and he spoke to Dave Sexton and said, come on, come outside, Ozzy's out here, why don't you shake hands and get over with it? And Dave Sexton refused. And when he came out, Webby, he had to say that to Ozzy. And obviously Ozzy was thinking, well, that's great. I'm looking like a mug, aren't I? Standing out here outside the Cafe Royal when you told me that. You've really mugged me off. So you can imagine those are the kind of situations yeah. where... Yes, there's uh, character flaws, mismanagement. Um, there's also stress, you know, uh, uh, um, just tension that and people not backing down and things. And that's what that season was all about. It was fractious. was mentioned about the Iran trip. I still haven't uh, got mm. out of you why it was, but that, that seemed to run throughout the season. I mean, another really good example of this, and this, this happened very early on in the season, was that... You know, up until then, I think John Hollins may have been the captain or, or Eddie McCreary. I can't remember which, but uh, Ozzy, Harris. Ron Harris. But Ron had been stripped of it the season before because his form was so poor. And I think John yeah. Hollins, uh, Eddie was the club captain yeah. or and, and John Hollins was the on-field captain because Eddie wasn't playing because he was injured. But You're talking about the Liverpool game. Possibly. When Ozzy was, that was... Uh... When, that was, uh, well, I'll tell you what, no, I'll tell you what. Ozzy was made captain. Well, he was offered it, 
earlier in the, in the season, and then uh, he was dropped the next game instead. No, that was that game. That was the right. Liverpool game. Was, the one they lost 1-0. They lost 1-0, um, and he didn't play badly, but they lost. And that was the, that, again, that was another four in a row. Yeah. And that was critical over Christmas time, and Dave Sexton's looking at, you know, the existence. No, no, this, the, that, I'm talking about the one in September. Oh, uh, Okay. Um, do you know who that was against? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, the Liverpool game in September up at Anfield, Keegan scored one, Benetti saved a penalty. Oh, no, that, that's... Ah, uh, uh, OK. I, I know what you... Yes, OK. I, I know which one you mean now, yeah. Um, I think it might have been before the Sheffield United game he was offered the captaincy, but then that's dropped. That's right. That was that was the one I was... That's what I thought you were talking about. Sorry, mate. Sorry. Well, just, just to follow that one through... He was offered the captaincy. He was a made captain. They lost 1-0. Uh, and they were dropped, all of them. Hudson, Bonetti, uh, Baldwin, I think. That's right. And, and Aussie for the next game. So Aussie's gone from being captain to substitute. And they, he was told, him and Huddy didn't have a good attitude. They were told to go and train with the reserves, the Stiffs, Dario Grady. And, um, and, of course, they won that Sheffield United a match which was really really vital and won it 3-1 Dave Sexton went after, over to them at training the, the following time well, this, this is in January we're kind in of January moved. that's right yes. yeah, we, we, but we, just we to moved. tell you the story because it is indicative of the kind of stuff that was going on the whole season so he goes up to Ozzy and he says Huddy you and you and I come back and train with the first team and Ozzy goes well what do you mean? He said, come on, come back. You know, he said, do you, but you dropped us and you won. You're going to pick the same team again. It's the first time you won in five games. So he said, what, are you refusing to do it? Yes. Okay, that's it. You go and carry on training with reserve. These are the kind of confrontations. Bad, bad communication, really. Exactly. But no one, I think they, I think things had festered. Don't forget, Aussie had been put on the transfer list in 71. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you two know, years before. There have been so many incidents. Uh, I think Ozzy was doing a, an autobiography and uh, he, he's missed training and he, Charlie Cook was there and a few others. And again, Dave Webb went to try and drag him out of uh, Barbarella's or wherever they were uh, doing the launch and they didn't come out. These kinds of silly, childish misbehaviours. Um, there was a kind of end of era feel to, to the whole thing. It's a bit... It it's going a going wrong. It sounds very much like, uh, you know, a long marriage that's reaching in the end exactly. of its nat- natural life where any really small, petty argument gets blown up. And another of, thing. Like, and oh, another yeah. thing, yeah. <laughs> and then and then you get this awful kind of passive... passive not that I speak from experience, I should add, but you get this <laughs> awful... Cu- books, Chidge, I know you do. A lot of What? You read a lot of books, Jid. You know <laughs> that's what, that's where I get all of my intimate experience from, Jonathan. Well, something like books, anyway. But um, though, yeah, you know, it, it gets very silly and out of hand, and and I think that's what happens. I mean, I, just to you, you, we're kind of whizzing around the timeline a bit, but I remember reading in Tim's book about um, you know Aussie floating off to uh, Marbella without telling anybody. I think he went with Alan, Alan Hudson, and they got fined fifty Hutch. quid, and then. He went with Hutch, so yeah, he did, and they got they they got fined fifty quid, uh, and then um, Tommy Baldwin did the same thing, and and it caused even more a problem. Talking of Tommy Baldwin, I mean there were some there were some you know it wasn't all doom and gloom at the start of the season. I mean I know we started appallingly, and it, and and, I, and we all know even now you know when 
when you lose, I mean, what? how many games did they lose in the first kind of 10? About five, six games. You suddenly know already that you're not going to win the title, even in those days. So that was gloomy. But there were the odd shard of light here and there. I mean, uh, the, you know, we, we had that. We got knocked out of the League Cup by uh, by Stoke, which was a hugely disappointing. We, we did have a couple of decent performances. Um, oh, not least... Sheffield, uh, Southampton, in, that was a, when we won 4-0. That yeah, was a bit exactly. of a shock. That was during it an was. Unbe- a surprise, unbeaten run that we were. Four games. Well, we're actually one, two, three, four, five, six games without uh, being defeated, um, with four of those being draws. Uh, the next match, finally, well, next but one match after that was against Leeds United, who at the time were going for their, uh, I think, a record of 20 wins unbeaten since the start of the season. Not not wins, but unbeaten since the start of the season, beating Liverpool's record the week before against Ipswich. Yeah. And this is, this is of course, this got some traction a couple of weeks ago, of course, because it famously features uh, Norman Hunter, poor old Norman Hunter, who died last week, yeah. squaring up to Aussie. But actually, yeah. we put in a decent performance, even though we lost. And Leeds were a very good team then. Yeah. And, and we, re- we had this ability. The point I'm making and, and labouring over is that we had this ability still, as you always do with great players who maybe, you know, lost faith or, or getting past the sub. But they have that ability to turn up occasionally, and it strikes me that even throughout most of the season that Chelsea were like that. They had moments where they could turn up, but mainly they were awful. Yeah, I, for all the reasons that we've said, you know, the inconsist- inconsistency of team selection, possibly playing people in the wrong position, um, injuries. Injuries again, another problem that really we didn't, you know, that was even in 69 70, we were, we, and 70 71, we did all of that despite injuries, you know, serious injuries yeah. all throughout that period. And it carried on here. And that is something that you, um, you know, could you call, I loved Ian Hutchinson, but can you, can you call someone who's so regularly out injured a great player? You you can, but you can say you can't rely on them. You can't depend on them because they're not available for selection. Um, And we had a lot of that happening during the... I mean, God forbid, uh, Peter Bonetti's form went and he dropped him as well. And he played John Phillips for for a... Several games. I mean, John was very, very good for that period. He, he was. was God bless him. Thankless I remember watching him yeah. and thinking, "Well, I'm, you know, I'm not surprised Bonetti's not playing because yeah. Phillips playing out of his skin." Yeah, and then I think mm. I think he got injured. I don't think he missed games because of it, but I think it affected him, and then it, uh, that affected his confidence. But this is the funny thing. You're so right, Chidge, about this season. Because we finished seventeenth, we started off appallingly, but we at one point we were something like tenth, you know, above uh, halfway. We had we had recovered, so that you're right that they could galvanise themselves, yeah. like the it, Southampton it always, game where they gave, played brilliantly. But it always gave Sexton the opportunity to crow. That's what I found. Um, I got yeah. from uh, from the season was he would go, no, we we've done well with my. Um, diminished team, my workmanlike team. I don't need stars. Was the way that he was arguing, uh, and and um, of course they needed stars because then it otherwise it becomes a very ordinary side. And as was as it became an ordinary side, I despair yeah. now looking back at some of the players we were saying. Yeah, there were perfect examples of the youth pushing people through, but you needed the combination of the youth plus the experience of absolutely top right to work. And, Absolutely right. And some of these players, you know, Mickey Droy, never ever for me was ever 
um, mm. uh, a, a top player, and it as was proven by the position that the team was in. Um, John Sparrow, Graham Wilkins, all of these. Ian Britton bustled. He was described yeah. as bustling. Yeah. Never ever did I think he's a. This is a top player. Even no. then, I'm giving him the opportunity. But little did we know at the time that the 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 basis of the team for the next few years was going to be around this lot. None of whom we thought at the we were thinking. Well, it's a youth. Let's go. And always that thing of we we were always we always root for the youth. We always get behind them mm -hmm. because we want them to be the future. Yeah. We want them to be a great player. We want them to come through and improve. As has been examples of players. Hollins was a perfect example. You know. So. That's a good point. And actually, that's a good segue, JK, because uh, we're going to have a quick break and then we're going to come back. And as so often, you know, I, you know you're a historian, Rick, but I'm, I, I'm always tickled by history's unerring knack to repeat itself. And there's a couple of points, one of them, which I'll get into in a minute. But what is, what is it about Chelsea around Christmas time and our ability to implode? as a football club and really this is what we're going to talk about next uh, in, in part three because matters really did start to come to a head this season uh, around Christmas time so we'll be back in a, in a minute but before we do before we do I'm going to plug something because I like to do that around these breaks that's kind of what they're for but Patreon of course is our little kind of website thingy where you can basically donate us beer money how delightful <laughs> what a great idea um, it's a good place to come and have a natter with your old Uncle Chidge if you want, but it does help to uh, you know cover the cost of running the show, which are, are, are actually quite considerable. A bit like Chelsea building the East Stand, you know, <laughs> the money comes in and like a bath hole plug, it comes out just as quickly. But there you go. Not all of it on beer, I have to say. But anyway, if you want to donate uh, and uh, you know keep in touch with what's going on and we do well when there's football we do try and provide you exclusive videos like me and jonathan talking absolute nonsense straight after the game down a video camera i mean that's worth that's worth a tenner a month of anybody's money i think just to keep us off the air really but anyway patreon.com forward slash chelsea fancast uh, and as i said it's a good way to get a hold of me and all sorts of other kind of content that we don't really provide anybody else you know what jonathan I was, i've had a brainwave which we all know is a very dangerous thing. You know you know the Chelsea fancast trivia quiz that we never ever have time to do. You kept talking about every week and we never got there. It was kind of became my in joke, didn't it? Basically Rick, uh, it was Cliff the Blue Yank Cravello turned up to the benches in Putney Station once armed with a, what looks like Chelsea trivial pursuits. <laughs> for for obvious copyright reasons they don't call it that, but it's the same game. And and we thought it'd be fun to play it when we didn't have any football to talk about. But of yeah. course, we we've never actually left enough time at the end of the show to ever do it. So it remains in abeyance. But I'm thinking maybe Jonathan, what we should do is that you and I get on here at a regular time once of a week, maybe, and invite some of our Patreon people on Zoom to play with us, and we can have a prize at the end of the. I mean, outside the fan cast. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to look in my diary. I'm sorry, I'm terribly busy. Yeah. I'll speak to you. I'll, I'll, I'll speak to your agent. I'll speak to your agent, love. I'm sorry, no, we won't make. To. I'd love to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we could do that. I just thought that might be a, a nice thing to do. You know, they're all writing in now saying, "No, no, we two shows a week. We don't want any more." Yeah, we got. Yeah, 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 yeah. We've got people in there. The usual suspects. Uh, anyway, yeah, Patreon, get on it, people. It all helps. We'll be back in a minute. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 
Chidge. JK. In all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? Oh, Chidge, I'd be bereft. Inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved Blue Boys live. <laughs> it's all too much. <laughs> I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep. NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match, and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow. Great. Uh, but yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month, and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK. And best of all, no more tears for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy. I could cry. <laughs> but where do I sign up, Jidge? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Proper Chelsea. Football Fancast. Right, welcome back. This is the Chelsea Fancast, uh, part three, as if by magic. It's gone so quickly, as it always does. Um, delighted tonight, of course, got Jonathan Kidd, as always, me, Stanford Chidge, but uh, also the lovely Rick Glanville. Very appropriate that we should have somebody with a mighty brain like Rick on our shows at the moment, because, of course, we're going back... Uh, over seasons past, uh, 50 years of Chelsea. We're now up to 73-74. Uh, and I, I don't know about you, JK, but I've, I've been sat here wrapped by what Rick has had to say about most of the proceedings thus far. Yeah, but I just plug him in. We, I don't know. I know. Bothering. Just... We could go and have a cup of tea or something, <laughs> couldn't we? Yeah. Yeah. But, but you'll get a lot more listeners too if we do that. I don't know. know about that. I don't know about that. All right. So, look, it's been... Up and down, pretty. It's kind of been in in a weird sense. It's like a bit up and down, but on a downward trajectory. And the early the part of the season, down. yes, the tra- trending downwards, as they say. Uh, and that's kind of been the story. I mean, there were a few highlights, as I said. Oh, actually, I wanted to ask you this before we get into this, Jonathan, because I, 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 I yeah, Aussie scored his hundredth league goal. I forget the match. Everton. Rick, thank you, Rick Newt. And ever the Everton match was. Uh, on the 10th of November, 1973, we won 3-1. But who was a guest that day? None other. Ooh, 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 ooh. Go know. on, Rick. Go on, go on, go on. Steve McQueen. You got it in one. Now, the reason I want to talk to Jonathan about this, because this would have perhaps been the period when him and his dad... No, because it predates the East Stand. I'm just wondering. I mean, Dickie Attenborough brought him along, didn't he? But yeah, do, do, yeah, do you doing, remember that? Maybe they were doing The Great Escape at the time, and that was shooting... 73? In. No way, Jose. That was made 10 years before. Are you sure? Yes, absolutely positive. Well, 63. I think, he, I think he'd been together? there before at Stamford Bridge. And he, so, but, he before, but 63 was, was um, when he came to, when he was introduced to the players in the uh, dressing room. 
lit up a what fag. What was he doing? What was he working with Attenborough then? He was on. A... I don't know. I don't think he was actually working with Attenborough. I think he was in London. He was in London. And he, he'd been friends. Know. He had worked with him in in. Um, yeah, exactly. So it's just like, check me out, and I'll take you to the game. You know. Else. What had he been sat the sand pebbles or something? He'd been in that with him or something. Been another another film that. Um, we, what was the one that we, with uh, Thomas Crown affair? When was that? Late sixties. He wasn't in that, but no, he wasn't in that. No, no, no. no. Uh, Attenborough. You're, you're right. Of course, the Great Escape was much earlier. Yeah, but that's where they'd met originally, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Johnny, you would have loved Mike when I one of the times I interviewed Love uh, Lord Lovey, as everyone lovingly referred to him as. He started, so I said to him, so come on, he was such a lovely man. He was very generous with his time and things. And he loved talking about Chelsea. And I said to him, so come on, who did you, Steve McQueen, tell me about that. So he told me about it. And he said he was as excited to meet the Chelsea players like Osgood and people. He said he knew them all and he was excited, as excited to meet them as they were to meet him and everything like that. So I said, who else went and he, but what he did was in typical Lord Attenborough fashion, just reeled off this list of first names and nicknames you know oh duke was there i think and you know uh larry and johnny and (laughs) (laughs) and so afterwards i kind of had to translate it from get a copy of tidbits out and look up what all the actors nicknames were and things but of course it was john wayne Laurence olivier john gilgood and of course steve mcqueen was there as well I love the fact that Steve McQueen, therefore de facto, is a Chelsea fan. You know, of course, like like Raquel Welch. So we got Raquel Welch the season before. We got Steve McQueen this season. Apparently, uh, the, uh, you, I can't remember where Tim got this from, but apparently Eddie McCready, uh, Steve uh, McQueen went into the players' dressing room after the win and is congratulating Aussie, and he and he gets a, a fag out of his fag packet, and Eddie McCready kind of leapt up like a like a little fanboy and lit it for him. And, uh, <laughs> Which I just conjured up a hilarious image for me. But this is um, a temporary so that, changing room, remember? Yeah, the porter cabins. So, uh, what would Steve um, McQueen? Were they done by the about? office. They're done by the yes. office, weren't they? The, the old ivy-covered offices that yeah. were down there. There, yeah. Anyway, I, I um, discovered some um, footage on my father's uh, from my father's um, um, uh, movie camera. Is not super eight, eight millimeter of the office with um, Venables and uh, and Tam- past. Yeah, yeah. And they they weren't sure it was because of course he's hidden by the by the camera and mm. uh, and they recognise him after a bit. Yes, yeah, um, it's um it's a nice um, and they're they're suited and booted as all players were in that period, weren't they? They, they, they were and they were probably going up to play billiards in the billiard room. Ah, right, right. was the billiard room in the in the office? Yes, on the side where the where the railway track is now on right. that side in one of in an upstairs room there. That's where Catty got his nickname. Uh, Peter Bonetti was named the cat there by I think it was Ron Tindall, someone like that. They were playing for, for catching, playing billiards. catching a billiard no, ball. Nothing to do with that at all. Um, what it was was that um, they were playing billiards, and I think it was Ron Tindall. I could be wrong. Did like a kind of uh, radio commentary of what was going on in the match. So like, oh, and here he comes. Here comes Bonetti. They call him the cat, and that stuck. There we go. I've I've heard that, I and mean, I think you're right. It is Montindo. Cricket for Surrey, of course. Jim. Yes, Can't he remember. did. Yeah, I forget Chelsea where I got there from. All right, back to the football. Um, so it's been a pretty poor start to the season. We 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 struggling to get out of the lower quarter of the uh, of the league table, but in a sense, 
things really came to a head, uh, would you believe it, on Boxing Day? A number of appalling performances I've seen on Boxing Day in my time. This fills me with nothing but uh, abhorrent... uh, agreement really but Chelsea Chelsea managed to be 2-0 up against West Ham on Boxing Day and managed to conspire to lose 4-2 largely due to some appalling defending I think again Hollins was back in defence for some strange Sexton uh, strategic masterpiece Uh, Clyde Best uh, scored a couple of goals but I think I could have scored them from judging from all accounts. I've seen no footage of this so I'm riffing a bit but the, the way that it's been written it sounds very much like it and then uh, three days later, we, we have Liverpool at home. Of course, Liverpool are the champions uh, at the time. And we lose 1-0. And that puts us in 18th position. So we're basically, uh, I think uh, three went down that season for the first time. So we were, you know, ho- hovering. Relegation started to be talked about as a, a real possibility around them, from what I'm understanding, Rick. Yeah, and Sexton was very nervous about it. I think he was given the support uh, of the board. He was reassured that because of his success, you know, three cup finals in three seasons, that he would be supported. But you could tell that he was very nervous. And I think JK's right that this was um, someone who was very sure of his tactical acumen. And I think he was probably frustrated that the players, particularly ones he'd brought in, weren't able to apply uh, his tactical brilliance to a, a game situation and also frustrated that the ones he knew could uh, the likes of Baldwin Hudson no, Baldwin had scored nine goals so far that season our, and well, he was our top scorer with nine yeah. that season but the Liverpool game uh, well I mentioned it before this is the one that we were talking about where uh, Ozzy was made the captain and that was his last game until he came back in 1979-80 um, last game for Chelsea and the you talk about the uh, Christmas. The only reason we think about Christmas and its potential for disaster, the um, the season of good grief, <laughs> is um, <laughs> that is the concentration of matches, yeah. and that's the historic thing in English football because we played on the twenty second, twenty sixth, and 29th that season. And it's the fact that you have these potential potential for calamity juxtaposed in such a concentration that makes you remember it. And if you get into a mood where players are in, don't forget if players are injured and they can't, they're not going to recover after a day or two, they're going to be out. You know, so this is the problem that you have. Uh, it just rolls it one thing rolls into another. Well, the, the right the writers felt. I think actually, do you know what? You know, I said eleven o'clock kickoff. I think I think the West Ham match was an eleven o'clock kickoff. Oh, on the Boxing Day, yes, quite. Yeah, yeah we always uh, used to play morning on Boxing Day. Well, the the the, the press uh, at the time were reckoned that half the players were still pissed from from Christmas Day. Hey, not just the not just the journalists, mate. I bet J.K. like me would be standing in the shed saying, "Oh, he looks like he's had too much Christmas pud." That's what everyone used to say. <laughs> Standing there with our stiff gloves that we've got. In the the West Stand, Rick. Oh, sorry. I mean, no, Terribly no, sorry. No, no, don't apologise. You can your jewellery too. No, 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 no. I just meant that because my dad's seat, my dad's seat had been in the old East Stand, ah. obviously, and they moved us all to but the West was. Stand. Yeah. And, uh, and I remember spending um, a large amount of time... Uh, um, uh, they tried to reassemble the same people, obviously, we'd been sitting... Yeah. 
making new friends as a consequence of, uh, of, oh. of sitting there. And um, and I, I remember I was doing a. I managed to get large numbers of people to come and see me in a in a national youth theatre production that I was in. Really. From, from people around me yeah and i think that and they never mentioned it i think they were bitterly disappointed but, <laughs> but, but, but i remember i got them to come and um but you know there's just just a moment there Chidge, when you mentioned clive best scoring and it just I, I i hate it the way that one remembers this moments come in your mind and you think yeah. oh god i was there yeah. and i've remembered that moment and how horrendous it was for the four two and I'd forgotten. I remember thinking, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I've forgotten about it. Just suddenly you're this flash of best scoring and thinking, yes, oh, I remember. Oh, yeah, please. I can't bear that. But, but, Do you know yeah. what makes it worse, though? It's really, in a way, is that losing to West Ham, who were, uh, who had a really bad season. In fact, it was a really terrible season all around for London clubs. clubs. Yeah. Uh, Tottenham, Tottenham season was so bad that if you look on the Wikipedia entry for Tottenham season... 1973-74, it says something like, um, please, if you if you want to contribute something here, please do. It's completely empty. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, to be fair to Tottenham, I like that approach. Just pretend it never happened. Yeah, section empty, it says. <laughs> yeah, like, like, like their trophy cabinet. Did what you see what they did this week? They've got this chat. Somebody tweeted the, the, the Battle of Stamford Bridge. Oh. The 2-2 when they just kicked us. As, well, as it is, them the was a positive when they lost the lost the league. This is seen as a positive kicking somebody, kicking a team. We, we must we must glorify this. You go, what is the support? Well, that Jonathan mentality about when you do that. The, their eyes have seen the glory, apparently. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, getting back to the defeat to Liverpool, which I think Jonathan and Rick were also at. Yeah. Um, that, in a sense, I, I think this is really when. Chelsea's history shifted inexorably Tectonic to a downward plate. path. Tectonic plate, exactly, because basically what happened then before the Sheffield United game, which was the next game, we were due to play them up in uh, Bramall Lane. Uh, but uh, Sexton drops Benetti, Hudson, Baldwin and Osgood. And this is the story that uh, you were talking about earlier yeah. on, where, whereby basically Hudson and Ozzy refused to train, is the story that we're all, we're all told. And as a consequence, they get suspended and transfer listed. And really, from there, there was no way back, was there? Well, I think Hudson... It actually extended a little bit further than that because we we were scheduled to play Kipiani in the third round of the FA Cup. And... Um, yeah, On the fifth. No, we, put, we drew 0-0. Yeah. And um, we lost 1-0 away in the replay. And Dave yeah. Webb was pleading with Sexton to say, look, we're going to lose this if you don't bring them back. Um, and he said, I've told you, Webby, we've, they're suspended. And so he said, Webby said to me, he said, he said to Dave Sexton, well, just can't you unsuspend them? <laughs> That's right. And um, of course he didn't. And actually Webby played up front. He played centre forward for us that day and we lost 1-0. We did. So that was another plank you know, what you could always... Chelsea would do, hadn't traditionally been vying for the league, but you could always rely on us to reach a final or get close. And to have that removed, the League Cup and then the FA Cup, and to QPR uh, was was terrible. I think QPR, didn't they finish... I think they finished as top London club. They did. season, which was a bitter thing to swallow. But you're right. By then, the die was cast. 
you know that that uh, that coterie of great players uh, had decided that they weren't going to play for the club anymore. And they were um, great. They were great they players. Were brilliant they players. Were absolutely great. There were some wonderful, wonderful players there. The joy that Hudson used to give me from a 19, 20, 21. He was 22 when he was transferred, for goodness it's sake. It's ridiculous. Oh, he wasn't even anywhere near his prime. Oh. And of course, he gets sold uh, for 240,000 quid, which let's face it, Chelsea needed. Yeah. We'll get into the whether that might have been lying behind it as well. But Definitely. as luck would have it, uh, he gets sold and the next game we play is Stoke City away. Yeah. And he walks out as captain, doesn't he, I think? Yeah. For Stoke. And he, uh, I can't remember what it was. He did something. I remember now. I remember he did something that the Chelsea players were really furious about. I think he went up to the fan and gave them the finger. Yes, I think it was something like that. Yeah, I think you're right. Because he didn't was, score. He scored in the in the match. I think he won uh, a penalty. I think did it, was that the one where they they won with a penalty. I think he may have earned a earned a yeah, penalty. Yeah, that and rings the players a bell. all thought he dived. Yeah, but you yeah. could. But isn't that interesting as well? That it's clear that this was a, there were factions within the squad. Some people felt that what that coterie had done was wrong. They disagreed with the way that they uh, they'd carried on, and so they wouldn't support. They weren't in favour of what Hudson was doing coming back. They weren't prepared to forgive. They probably felt slightly angry that. Uh, what but he got, got booed, on. didn't he? Yeah, he, he got well, booed. The fans fans booed him, but he got booed at the bridge, didn't he? In the one. Yeah. Nil. But what I'm saying is people, players and supporters were attributing some portion of blame to the breakup of that brilliant team on the, on the, those protagonists. And uh, Huddy, Huddy particularly, actually. Yeah. There was a lovely quote. I can forgive me. I can't remember for the life of where from, that it was that actually Hudson was the main problem. Uh, And, you know, Ozzy was actually, you know, not as strong a character as Hudson in many respects. Hudson was far more, you know, willful and strong-headed. And in fact, willful, he had been, yeah, yeah, he had been agitating for a move, move and had yeah, been quite antagonistic for a long, long time. But actually, that brings us. Uh, sorry, Jake, I'll bring you in a sec. But that brings us interestingly to Osgood because they're both, you know, transfer listed. Uh, Hudson goes yeah. quickly to Stoke, but but Ozzy doesn't. Now the interesting thing is that. Apparently, Aussie Baldwin and Dempsey were all uh, transfer listed, but nobody wanted them. That's what I mean. Talk about history repeating. Another thing that comes through a lot of what Tim was writing about was all the the media, the press speculation of all the clubs that were in for Osgood, all absolute bollocks. And actually, nobody wants him. I mean, I'll get onto it in a minute because he eventually goes at the end of the season. But that that was interesting, and I would have thought Rick a real wake up call for Aussie. Yeah, and. Uh, don't forget that there were the problems he was having with the Eng- getting in the England side again, and so I, I would have felt, uh, I would have thought that at that time. I mean, I, I interviewed him a couple of times, Aussie, and he did. He, at the time, I don't think he felt he'd done anything wrong, but with uh, the benefit of hindsight, I think he he did acknowledge that he'd taken things too far. But at the same time, I think he, I think it was such a kind of the. As you pointed out, it's like a marriage that's gone wrong. You can come back and meet five years ago and you might rekindle something five years later and you might rekindle something, rediscover what it was that attracted you to each other in the first place. It, everything had gone wrong. It, it, they they needed to make a, 
a clean break. They needed to uh, shift players out and shift new ones in. And that was the problem. There weren't replacements for the likes of Osgood and Hudson. And well, Charlie Cook came back, of course. Charlie had gone and he came back. But uh, other than that, there wasn't the mag- there weren't the magicians. The magicians, yeah. no left. creative players. Yeah, it had been yeah. a fabulous side, and there was no way that they were going to try. And, but the only way of trying to to maintain the fabulousness of that side was to have got um, similar, as we said earlier, similarly excellent yeah. star players with quality, with that star aspect that both Hudson and Osgood Stardust. Had. That's what yeah. none. And that's what was lacking. The one thing you could say, though, I'll probably jump in the gun. Chigi's going to jump on me in a, uh, if I say this. The one thing was when, in March, when a young player made his debut for us, a 17-year-old, and you immediately saw over the ensuing uh, games that he played for us that there was a really big star, and that was Ray Wilkins. Yeah. And of all Three-none against Norwich. Yeah, and uh, of all the young players that came through, you're right... JK, I agree with you. They were triers, they were honest, and yeah, yeah. Uh, to a degree, I think Gary Locke was a Gary Locke was an exception. Good. I think Gary Locke was a terrific, terrific yeah, player. Yeah, a better team. I think he'd have played for England, actually. I, I absolutely agree. And also, another one, perhaps a little too fearless for his own good. Uh, he was injured too regularly as well. And um, But Ray Wilkins, for, for people of my age, he was such someone, a, a real hero. And um, to see a 17-year-old pointing to his teammates saying, <laughs> run there and I'll pass it to you, you know, just extraordinary yeah, yeah. to see. So He had that from the very beginning, didn't he? He did, absolutely. He was an incredible player, incredible player. Mm, and so there was, that was a, one of the straws that you could clutch to and the, another one was be, beating Tottenham. But um, that's, Always. Yeah. Um. All right, so Hudson's gone. Nobody wants Aussie. Eventually, he, he does go, literally on the last day. There was a deadline day in March in those days. Yes. And uh, just before the end of the season, about a month or month and a half to go before the end of the season. Nobody wants Aussie at all. Um, From Sinner to Saints. Well, indeed. Well, I mean, he was kind of holding out for, for better deals, wasn't he, a lot of the time. Yeah. for those. I mean, Derby were interested in him for a while, but I also think he, that he expected some really big clubs like City, Liverpool or, or Leeds to come in for them, but none of them did. So eventually he goes to Southampton, who actually end up getting relegated that season, but are, are drifting around the relegation zone at the time, uh, for 275 grand, which, which is just astonishing. There's a lovely... Uh, a comment he again like like Hudson ends up playing uh, Chelsea in fact on the 6th of April in 74 uh, Chelsea go down to the Dell it's a nil-nil draw and I think he's quoted as saying it's not it's not not really Chelsea is it <laughs> <laughs> no shit Aussie <laughs> yeah where have all their players gone like me yeah. <laughs> he effectively ruined his career though didn't he by by making this choice to go down to well he did win a cup a cup medal well, two years later yeah, yeah. alright but he should have. You wonder whether what was the reason why clubs didn't want to come in for him? Whether it was he had a real, really spiteful side as a as a player, which uh, well, which I think made him made him very, very um, combative. It made him uh, um, uh, his aggression kept him actually at the at the top of his game yeah. because there was a spitefulness about him that uh, you just have to look at those that 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 
the bearded moment when they well, how many beards did Chelsea have in that side? When the bearded he, strikers. When he when he uh, when he goes up and kicks Hunter, and you just look yes. at him and think, actually, there is a side to you that I can understand why um, some purist managers might think that you'd be difficult because you're you're exhibiting that on the football field. And it was a side to him and a and a kind of bolshy approach to things that made me go off him as a supporter. I'm afraid I I. Yeah. I, I lost, I found the whole of that season, um, whether rightly or wrongly, I found his performances so sporadic and so... Sullen, weren't they? I agree sullen, with you. That, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. That's the exact word. So sullen that I actually thought, I don't care anymore. And I didn't want to have that happen with him because he'd been such yeah. a brilliant hero. Yeah. But it was that fact that he, whether that was because of the manager. But once again, I thought we've not talked about the board here. I really think the board were hugely to blame in this situation Absolutely. by allowing these these things to take place on the pitch and not to. And I suppose they had faith in Sexton, but they should somehow somebody somebody should have come forward and said this cannot happen. We cannot have this as a reflection well, of the club. I, I, the they should have anticipated how bad it was going to get, yeah. and that that's the point. You know that I think that they were still kind of high as kites after seventy and seventy one and winning yeah. a those trophies and still believe in the hype about the youngest board in, you know, in the, in the top flight and all this sort of stuff. They were still acting as if they were, a, even though they were in uh, huge debt, they were still trying to compete with all the other clubs and how generous their hospitality would be. I mean, they were very pampered and self-indulgent and unfortunately they weren't indulgent of the playing uh, squad. And that was where the when it all comes down to it, you can everything else pales into insignificant. If the players aren't good enough, then you're going to struggle yeah, every time. Mm. Well, just just go back to Aussie for a sec. Close let's close out the Aussie and uh, and and Hudson sagas, and then talk about Sexton and perhaps the wider context of this, which of course are the board and the financial issues. But I mean, Rick. Do you, do you think Aussie could have stayed? And and if he had stayed, would it have been the right decision, given what we've just kind of gone through? The only scenario I can see where he would have stayed would be a change of manager. Yeah. Say, for example, we'd brought in a Brian Clough or someone like that, someone of that calibre, um, a new broom, uh, and maybe brought in with them one or two star players. Then I think the whole thing would have shifted around completely. I agree completely. It, it, it would have been a... A completely different Chelsea in the mid. In the, the, mid the manager yeah, would have brought in a couple of players that he'd been used to playing with, who fitted his style, exactly. and it exactly. would have. Uh, and everybody would have wanted to have played for this manager because it was, an, as you say, a new broom. And that's what happens with new managers, and everybody makes an effort. And I think the board, once again, I'm sorry, I, I keep going back about this. I think the board were were completely myopic about this whole situation. Yeah, yeah, um, and 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 the whole business of 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 the players on the pitch is what should have been, they should have been their focus. I know that they were worried about not being able to build the stand, but they surely should have made the connection that the success on the pitch would have allowed them to have invested more money or kept the investment going. Absolutely absolutely absurd to me. I wonder if, if, you know, I mean, this is a good question to ask Rick, actually, you know, Sexton always comes across to me as a very kind of upright, honourable decent man actually i mean i'm sure he had his failings i'll go into that in a minute but basically this is a very straight guy 
and he liked the club. He had a good relationship with the board. And I, I reading between the lines of, of Tim's book particularly, I always get this sense that we were in so much, much bigger financial shit than really the, 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 the public were privy to. And I don't... I mean, all these statements by Mir saying, oh, well, we'll sell all's good and then we'll give sex and all the money to go and buy some really top players. I, I get the impression that that was rubbish. Bravado. And that, that there was no... Ch- chance in hell of Sexton getting his hands on a decent because if you look through all of the people that we were linked with um you know over the last kind of year or two they were all lower tier players we were never seriously in for the big boys that the press was speculating about Sexton was Phil Boyer for example from Bournemouth was constantly linked to us these are the kind of players that Sexton was looking at because he didn't have the money to spend so I wonder Rick you know, were the financial issues a much bigger problem for the club at that time than the player and the personality issues? Um, I don't know. I think I've just to touch on what you were saying there about Dave Sexton. I think, unfortunately, he had grown to mistrust Flair. And How English? I, well, I always say that um, he wanted to bring in a bit of... He wanted to turn Chelsea more roundhead than Cavalier. Um, Doherty was a, this kind of dynamic, um, off the cuff, uh, running, you know, fast, bustling kind of uh, approach. Sexton wanted something more thoughtful, more tactical. He was a lover of Italian and a Hungarian football, and he tried to implement tactics and have versatility uh, in the players. Like that's why he loved Kemba, and uh, he thought Garland. Could, uh, sorry. Um, I'm trying to think. Garner. Garner could play in, in midfield like Ozzy had. And, you know, Bill Garner just didn't have the same kind of technique that these other maestros that we'd had in midfield had. So there was a... And I wonder whether... But to, to, to answer what you, your, your point about whether the money was a bigger issue, um, I think there could have been players that we would have... We could have invested in that we could have got at a reasonable price, perhaps, or for equivalent to what we were paying for the likes of Garland and uh, and and Kemba and people like that, that would have uh, given us a, maintained that creative spark, but probably wouldn't have fitted into the mindset that Sexton had at that time. Don't forget, and this is always something that people forget. Man United got relegated this season. Now. Were there any Man United players, for example, that we could have gone to and, and tried to hire? Um, George Best? <laughs> well, it's uh, probably not then. I think uh, had he already. I think he'd already left. He'd been we? brought. He'd been brought back by Tommy Dock. Right. Yes, that's right. But not not with a, a shall we call it unequivocal success. He got a nicked about a week later for slapping some bird in a nightclub. <laughs> but there, but you know, but this is what I'm thinking about. They weren't. I think the problem was that they weren't as. The board weren't as smart as they thought they were. They weren't able mm. to do that wheeler dealing and get the real bargains. They they went for the low lying fruit that Sexton saw was readily available. Ones you could mm. e- you could easily go to South End and Crystal Palace and teams like that and get. I suppose if he, he's saying all the time I can make this work, if he's saying that I can do it with these because my way of playing is uh, yeah, the, the industrial yeah. type, the industrious games that he had the effort and occasionally they'd come up with a win playing like that with none of the stars and he'd say look we, we, we didn't need to have the stars playing in this he would he would he would 
say that to the press. Sheffield United was the perfect example. You know, you drop all the players and um, uh, and you go out and win. And um, And he kept saying the scores in that in that game as well. So that would have been vindication. he 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 did see that because we did actually you know have a decent ish run or we, we stopped you know losing as frequently after he did implement those changes and he he used that to validate himself just just want to go quickly back to to Hudson uh, and because this kind of links in with Sexton in a way i mean on the one hand i think you can you can look and actually perhaps the two go hand in hand because you could quite happily sit here and say that you know Hudson wasted his Chelsea career. I mean, I know he achieved a lot in a short space of time. He obviously helped help win us the the Cup Winners' Cup. Mm. It's very unlucky to not make the final in seventy three injury. Mm. But really, after that, his contributions to Chelsea were not. I mean, I think the point being, uh, Rick, is that when he when he went to Stoke, and okay, played in the position that he was best at, mm. he was a phenomenal player. Mm. He played for England, okay. Again, perhaps because of his personality, he didn't have the England career he should have done. But of course, the the, the debut against West Germany, the current world champions in '75, and Backenbauer said he was the best international debut he'd ever seen. So this guy had all the talent at his disposal, and I wonder, you know, did he waste his Chelsea career, or was he validated by leaving Chelsea, where his talent was able to flourish? I think he would say he was. Uh... Again, if Sexton was still going to remain the manager, it wasn't going to be something that he would want to be part of. Um, when watching Alan Hudson in the uh, from seventy onwards uh, until seventy two, seventy three, uh, it was like watching a Brazilian player because the way that he played, uh, the the fluidity of his movement, he could pick the ball up on the edge of his, he would. But Hudson, for people that don't know what he was like as a player, um, a goalkeeper would have the ball and Huddy might run back into the box and just say, give it to me. And he would pick the ball up in his own box and run forward with it, dribble past three or four players, play a one-two, and he'd be up the other end in a few seconds. That was getting a shot off or bending a swerve in a pass out to the wing or something, a really incredible uh, a player. But he didn't do it all the time. And by the time, where the season we're talking about, um, it was few and far between. Great performances and then just nothing, insipid. And um, so he needed a move and we needed probably either to change the coaching staff that we had to to re-energise him or we needed just to get rid of him because he was trouble. Right, well, look, talking to Sexton, I'm going to read this. Uh, <clears throat> this is from Paul Dobson in the Kensington Post at the time, uh, predominantly about Sexton. Interestingly, it picks up on what you were saying about Brian Clough. But the directors know the trend must be reversed, and for all their debt to Sexton, they're businessmen who realise they cannot be loyal at any price. He inherited a damn good side from Doherty, and in five years, nobody of note has been introduced to the team. Locke is the only youngster to have proved he is good enough for the first team. He's failed in the transfer market. He played well or out of position, sold him, and he has flourished. All his forward signings have been flops, and he's virtually ignored the defence, which is not up to first division standard. Worst of all, they have failed in the league. Seats need to be filled every week, not just for the occasional cup tie. The sad thing is, Sexton is a nice man. Maybe he is too nice. Chelsea need a dynamo if their new stand is to prove money well spent. 
Brian Clough, for all of his talk, could do the job. So could several other men. Sexton, I'm afraid, can't. And that was written around the time when Hudson and, and Osgood were on their way out. Yeah, and I, it's difficult to disagree with a lot of what is said there, to be honest. Um, it's what most supporters would have been thinking, but without the insight that maybe uh, a football reporter uh, attending... The, the Paul Langan of his day. Yeah, good old Paul. Uh, <laughs> you know, asking the difficult questions and hearing from the players here in their side of it as well in, in private conversations. What we saw, I think, was just perplexing. I don't know if JK agrees. We couldn't understand how uh, a team that had been successful for for three years could just... The main people could just fall out so spectacularly and no one would bring them together and, you know, as yeah. the parlance of the day, knock their heads together and knock some sense into them and make them work together. Absolutely. We, couldn't, was, understand, was, we couldn't understand what was no, going no, on and why no one was taking control of the situation. Yeah, yeah, it was watching a team and you think, he's not trying, he's yeah. not interested, he's not, he's not, um, he doesn't want to be there. And that was the constant thing as a, as a fan. I, I sometimes think that board and, and management don't appreciate that we can see what's going on um, as, as easily as they can, or perhaps they're they're blinder than we are, um, and uh, it was depressing. It was depressing, and that's why I said I I, I found that Os Osgood just swanned about, and uh, and I felt I felt for Hudson because you could see that he he keep kept playing him at right wing, he and did. and he wanted and he played as you said he played Kemba in the middle, and you thought why is he doing this? Yeah. And you could see Hudson really didn't enjoy it, and. Um, um, and defensively, it was it was not sham, shambolic, but just not good enough. You know, you just you. But once again, we as fans are aware of this, and you don't understand why it's not being implemented. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And again, it's our prerogative not to care about the finances. I mean, obviously, yeah. you know, we had you had the what was it the Chelsea pools thing was the equivalent yes. of say the bridge at the time, where you, and that was contributing tens of thousands to the coffers. Uh, so we could just ignore that. We paid our season ticket money or our ticket money, our entrance admission fees, and that was our. We were, we were paying into the coffers, We'd, and we were entitled to tell them how they should spend some of that money. And if we wanted them to go out and buy a Tony Curry or a Kevin Beatty or someone like that, they should go out and do it, and improve, or rather, improve. Yes, but stop the rot. Because all of us had that sinking feeling. Uh, you could see some of these other big teams were struggling. Man United were, as I say, were relegated in 73, 74. That, to a lot of supporters of my age, was like, blimey, if Man United can get relegated, anyone can. And I think the sinking feeling that I remember for, from this season, but especially the following season, 74, 75, it just felt like, literally the bottom was falling out of your world and when you were watching them sometimes the world was falling out of your bottom <laughs> <laughs> well there you go and of course uh, next week uh, the ship sinks and we do end up getting relegated but I won't spoil it beyond that if you don't know that you shouldn't be a Chelsea fan anyway but uh, right I'm going to thank Rick hugely for his input on that uh, and Jonathan of course but before we do all that a quick couple of uh, Plugs. Actually, it's quite relevant because the the little podcast that me and the uh, 
infamous Martin King have been doing uh, cover so much of this ground, actually, with the players that, that we've interviewed, including uh, Bobby Tambling, Chopper Harris, Tommy Baldwin, Kerry Dixon, Johnny Boyle, Bummers, Gary Chivers, Colin Pates and Canners, uh, which are all just fabulous. But the ones from the Kings and the Kings Road era are particularly fab- uh, fantastic and informative about this era. And you can... Uh, download all of them at chelseaspecial.podbean.com. Uh, small charge for each one, £2.99, uh, which is less than a cup of Costa coffee, which you can't actually buy at the moment. So instead of buying your Costa coffee, go and spend it on a Chelsea special. It will enrich and uh, amuse your life and all sorts of other good things. Um, chelseaspecial.podbean.com. It's easy to do. They're all on the homepage there. You just scroll down the ones you want. Buy a single episode now. I think you can do it via credit card or PayPal. There you go. Uh, there's also a website, ChelseaSpecial.com. And, of course, we're on Twitter at Chelsea underscore special and the Chelsea Special on Facebook. Uh, a quick plug for our own little kind of slight diversion, which we do on a Friday, where uh, members of the Chelsea fancast uh, mob, for want of a better word, uh, do a thing called My Chelsea, where we talk about how we fell in love with Chelsea and some of our favourite games and favourite players growing up. Uh, and all that kind of thing. Uh, I think it might be me this week, unless I get get my shit together and interview Marco. I think he's next on the list. We'll do Rick at some time, do Tim as well. There's loads more to do. They're great fun. And, of course, talking podcasts, are the beloved uh, and, I think, force of nature, really, is the only way to describe her, that is Alex Churchill, is doing this thing called History Hack, which is amazing. She's, she interviewed half the cast of Band of Brothers, uh, Ian Griffith from the Hornblower series, all the sharp people, they're brilliant. You need to get on those. If you like a bit of history, they're great fun. Historyhack.podbean.com Right, after this very small break, we've got an email, I think, to read out, haven't we, Jonathan? Yes, we do. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Proper Chelsea. Football Fancast.com. Welcome back. This is the Chelsea Fancast. It's now part four. We're on the home straight. Uh, we've just had a. I mean, I have to say, I don't, I'm sure Jonathan agrees. Actually, it's been fascinating talking about the 73 74 season, particularly with Rick. You had a, a positive point to make, Rick. Oh, I think we've. it's been quite depressing up to now, but a little. Ray of Sunshine was that we drew at home in uh, uh, April. No, sorry. Uh, yes, mid-April. We drew at home against Tottenham, nil-nil, and both teams stayed up. So that nice little ray of sunshine and uh, love for our our club, holding Tottenham to a draw at home. In- and we beat them actually away. Beat them two one away. We beat them just before well. that, that was a, a great performance. So mm. nice, you know, amongst all the depression, two decent results. Normal service has been resumed, That's I think, right. is the expression when it comes to beating Tottenham. Now, uh, normal service is going to resume here because we've got uh, not many, it has to be said, actually. You know, you're, you're clearly suffering from being furloughed and locked away. I would have thought that would have been an ample excuse uh, and you'd have had ample time to write emails to us, wouldn't wouldn't you, Jonathan? I'm disappointed at the, the paucity of correspondence, Judge. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, if they don't write emails in, we'll have to think of something else to annoy people. I could with. write I've a got... few emails in, I don't mind. Yeah, I could yeah. To be strange supporters from around the world, if you like. Yeah, 
I could read them. I could read them out in the style of Jonathan Kidd. Perfect. <laughs> are you, yes. Are you anyway, me out. Is that what you're saying? Oh, you're so sensitive. Immediately you go there. Immediately you go there. You actors are all the same, mate. Honestly. Me, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want to read the uh, the one meaty email, and I'll do the little tiny one. We could read half of it if you like. Now nah, you go for it. I, I think it would be Russ would be upset if you didn't read it all. This is from Russ Saunders. Good old Russ. Um, dear fancast crew, I've toyed with the idea of writing during the lack of matches, and here I am finally bothering. It's not like I haven't had the time. Currently unemployed and hardly the environment to be searching. My part-time job of male escort <laughs> has had to go on the back burner due to all the social distancing. There's no doubt that here in Australia, we've managed to swerve a serious amount of cases of this COVID-19 in a population of around 25 million. That was always a chance. Plus, we're in the arse end of the world too, aren't we? At time of writing, I think we've around 7,000 cases, unfortunately 100 deaths, but importantly, almost 6,000 recoveries. I think this is why um, Gary Neville was suggesting, wasn't he, that they, we should play all the games abroad, possibly mm. somewhere like this. Mm. Small fry compared to plenty of places around the world. I think it's because we started drinking Dettol in February. Oh, oh <laughs> yes, that is a joke. Ah, ha, ha. I was lucky to have had my trip back to see family in the UK and Chelsea, of course, before all this kicked off globally. On to things Chelsea then. A belated congratulations on the 500 shows. I think I started listening in the late 300s, but you have to start somewhere if it can't be the beginning, eh? It's become an addiction, no doubt. This week has been one of a few notable achievements for the club. Firstly, a very significant one for us all, the Bolton away match when we won the Premier League for the first time. I'd only been living in Melbourne for about 20 months and hadn't met loads of Chelsea fans yet. Add to that the scenario of the Premier League not available on TV and certainly not dial-up internet. Like so many kickoff times for us, it was a bit crap. 2.30am on a Sunday morning. There wasn't loads of people in the Charles Dickens Tavern in the Melbourne city centre, maybe 10 to 15. I remember watching nervously until the second goal by Frank, and then it was party time. Some of new some newfound Chelsea friends and we carried on drinking at various bars. Three of us, Richard, Jez and myself, ended up at a place that was back in 2005 a real dive. Probably the reason they let us in at about 7am. I think it was still dark when we went in. It was impossible to wipe the smile off our faces. Some native Australians, the three of us were U UK expats, were trying to wind us up, but we didn't care. We were so happy. Round after round of vodka and Red Bull as we fought off the tiredness. At 3pm, we staggered out of the bar to be greeted by glorious autumn sunshine, a memory that shall remain with me forever. It was possibly the springboard for what the Melbourne Supporters Club has become now. The other significant memory from the week was mathematically denying Spuds the chance to win the league in 2016. In Australia, we arrange a meet-up in one city each season and encourage people from around said country to come and watch a match together. Plus, naturally, we have a few drinks and socialise together. It was the Melbourne turn to host it, and we chosen this match. Then the TV moved it to the 5am kickoff Tuesday morning, Monday night in the UK, obviously. A work day for us now and everyone who'd booked in plenty of time to travel from interstate had gone home on the Monday. I thought I would still go to the pub and watch. The first train wasn't early enough to get me there for the start of the match. And as I walked up the stairs to the bar to see them score their second goal, I was horrified to see and hear someone celebrating. 
my first words to the landlord was, is their pub closed then? Spurs use another bar in Melbourne. It's usually understood, particularly among the expats, that you stay at home, so to speak. It turned out that two backpacker mates from the UK had flipped a coin as to what bar they'd watch in. There was maybe half a dozen of Chelsea and this one spud. As we all know, we come back from the two goals and get a draw. Let us not mention the inept refereeing by Clattenburg that day. That goal by Hazard was sublime and the spud had a face like a bulldog chewing a wasp. <laughs> Fuck off, you wankers. I truly hate that team from North London. Fucking chicken on a base, basketball, tossers. It makes my blood boil just thinking about them. I remember watching the second half again at home. I recall seeing coins raining down on the Chelsea players as Hazard had celebrated in front of their fans. You could only see them in the super slow-mo they did for the credits after the match. It was one of the happiest draws I've ever seen us play. As I finish this message, we've just passed the 2014-15 season winning anniversary. That was a reasonable 10.30pm kickoff on a Saturday night. A very pleasant time for a change. Maybe I'll write about that another time. As usual, thanks to all of you that put in the effort for the podcast. It's podcasts. It's truly appreciated. I'm back to listening during the day now as live via Mixler at 4am on a Tuesday isn't going to happen. Stay safe and keep the blue flag flying high. Regards, Russell Saunders. Good old Russell. Two great moments to uh, to remember there. The uh, yeah. the Bolton game, which uh, the great moment of that for me afterwards was after we'd won it, where the the team bus was in the car park, yes, surrounded by Chelsea fans and, and Joe Cole. Joe Cole sticking his head out the window of the... He uh, climbed on top. He did, he got on top. Absolutely. John Terry pokes his head up as well. But yeah. everybody, what I love was everybody did a, a spot. Um, uh, and yeah. they did that thing of all crouching down on the floor to do yeah. it. So they could all jump up on yeah. 10, when, 10 when went to mow. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so that, was a, that was a wonderful moment. That. That was a- Stretch, P- Pete Trenter had a photograph of that up... Uh, uh, last week, obviously, around around that time, very lovely. I think he was in it. Trizia was in there, bless her heart. But uh, I, I sadly wasn't. I wasn't there. I mean, actually, Rick and I had a lot of fun. Uh, when was it? Tuesday. Oh yeah. Tuesday night. Yeah, we we were doing the the Chelsea's kind of watch party thing and tweeting out stuff. But it brought back some hilarious mem- memories. I mean, I, I mean, actually, you know, a bit of revisionism here because, of course, I always say that Munich was not just the best time at a football match, but the best time of my entire life and will <laughs> never be bettered. And that's probably true if. Not for one thing, because I had to get a flaming flight back that night, which was a real kind of just put a downer on the evening, as as a as a matter of fact. Although I did end up going to the parade the next day, where all of all of the fan cast mob they all stayed out there for three or four days, getting absolutely <laughs> shit faced, and I missed out on that. But the uh, while I missed out on the match for Bolton. We all randomly, we were all dispersed. None of us were there, but we were all in London. And the phones just started buzzing the minute the final was, where are you, where are you? We're going to the Fulham Road. You go, we're going to the And we all met up there. And I remember me, Tell, Phil, uh, Martin, uh, Stu and Chris, we all met up. Just got 3,000 Chelsea in Fulham Road. That yeah, shut the road. Yeah. It was carnage. Yeah. yeah, and uh, we went for a curry in the old... What's that? What's the, what's the curry house? It's all always changing Kishmish. names, isn't it? Kishmish. We all ended up there. Phil fell asleep. We played buckaroo on Phil. Poor bloke. You know, you pile food on somebody's head when they're asleep. We did that. And I ended up in the Imperial Arms. 
dancing with Paul Cook from the Sex Pistols. <laughs> so, I mean, I always remember that, really, that day for that. You know, Do you remember bizarre. what song you, you danced with him to? Not a clue, mate. We we, we I was as we were walking in and it Careless was like Paul, ah, Paul ah, we were jumping up and down going, Champions, Champions, Champions. It was just happy days. Anyway, we digress. Um brilliant email, Russ. Um I hope, mate, you are keeping safe and well down under. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's it's pretty bad over here, as you've probably figured out. I'm glad you haven't quite got it quite as bad over there, but I hope you're keeping well, mate. And my nephew Sasha still loves the uh swag you gave him from uh, the Melbourne Supporters Club when you came over and you were sitting slightly behind us for the Burnley game. Took my nephew to his first Chelsea game this season, Rick, uh, uh, and uh, he was at the 3-0. I was going to take him, funnily enough, to the Norwich game on Saturday. That was going to be his next match. <laughs> so it's very sad. But anyway, there you go. Right, final email. We only have two this week. Some of you are saying thank God for that. Uh, it's from the, the, our mate Chain. This came via Patreon, just to prove that I do read stuff out that comes from Patreon. This is brilliant. This has nothing to do with football whatsoever. Chain says, Chidge, happy pod birthday. I've been so out of my pod loop, I still haven't listened. Hope all is well with you and the missus. I have a random question. I know you were big into certain a certain music scene and still are. What do you think of the Arctic Monkeys? What sort of reputation do they have amongst British stroke Londoners? It feels to me like one of those punk vibe bands that gets a pop look finally, but I'm not sure if there's something I don't understand about them that makes people from your area roll their eyes or something. Best Shane. Now, this is definitely one for me and Rick. I'll, I'll have first stab at that. As it happens, Shane, I quite... <laughs> Well, because you're you you still you're stuck in the '60s with the Beatles, as far as I remember. Anyway, you can come back in a minute. Um, I quite like the Arctic Monkeys, as a matter of fact. I think they're a great little band. Um, but this is so classically British. We we can't abide anybody being successful. So the minute you know, he, and funnily enough, the story about uh, the Arctic Monkeys. I forget the name of the, the the singer. Rick will remind me in a minute. No, I won't. Okay, well, whatever the singer's name is, I can't remember. He ended up going out with the girl, Alexa Chung, who used to be a model and an MTV presenter. No, not you, Alexa. This this is a different Alexa, all right? So you can shut up. Right. Anyway, so Alexa Chung uh, went to my old school. She's obviously considerably younger than me, but she went to my old school, Perrin's uh, Comprehensive School in Allsford. So there you go. But anyway... Very, yeah, she's fit, mate. But all, all the girls growing up in my area are all lovely Sorry, and beautiful. I come from an well area where you say bit of a looker rather than okay. fit. Fit. She's fit. Can I just say, but don't she know Arctic it? Arctic Monkeys. Yeah. Uh, first album, um, uh, Media Darlings, couple of decent tunes. Uh, rest of the albums, not a single decent tune to bite you on the bum. Right. And uh, therefore, Thank- therefore, um, I don't understand why they've had success since. Okay. Thank you, shouting Bob Harris. Can I, uh, can I Rick, tell you something? I bet I'm the only person here <laughs> amongst us who's seen the Arctic Monkeys live at Stamford Bridge. No way, Jose. No way. Bridge? Were they under the bridge? They were under the bridge. And as you know, I had a lot to do with that club. I... Uh, what do we call it? Um, curated all the photos that are inside under the bridge. Brilliant photos, and, mate. Uh, Brilliant photos. And so, it's a very well um, uh, esteemed venue under the bridge. Brilliant. If you want to think how brilliant a new stadium built by Roman Abramovich would be, go to Under the Bridge and dream because it's just so perfectly done. Everything was done 
according to highest specs, high spec, best quality. Everything's done fantastically well. But the Arctic Monkeys were really good. And one of the things I do like about them, my son is really into grime. Um, and the reason that he's into it really is that he appreciates people singing in their own accents rather than putting on a fake American accent. And I think that's... I agree with that. I agree with yeah, that. I think that's top I'm mark. I'm such a fan of Peter Gabriel because he's so posh. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah, he is. Uh, he's voice. Charterhouse boy, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, and um, and are they sing in their they sing in their native tongue, which I admire. Yeah, I agree. Ah, oh, they speak they speak in Sheffield. <laughs> I mean, look, to Shane, to answer your question, my take on it is that in Britain we're very tribal and snotty about our music. So the minute somebody gets successful, you're not allowed to like them anymore, and you have to be scornful about them and roll your eyes, and go, "Oh no, not them." Possibly a bit of a Sheffield thing going on. Um, I'm I'm. We're all, you know, we've kind of all grown out of that, I think. I think if you are, if you, if next time you're over to London, now here's an incentive, because of course Rick drinks with us in the cock and in, in, yeah. in the old cock tavern. Next time you come over to London, come over and have a pint with us in the cock and don't talk about the football. Talk to me and Rick about music <laughs> and you will find, and Jonathan if he's there, and you will find that we have a very broad and eclectic taste in music, all three of us. You see, because you've kind of grown out of this kind of musical. When I was a kid, I was terrible for this. Absolutely. You know, my wife and I have bitter arguments to this day about that. I, I say she doesn't really like music just because she doesn't like the bands that I like. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know. so there you go. Anyway, lovely. I enjoyed that. I guess yeah, I'm, I'm up for that. Send us emails in that are not about football. I'd love that. That'd be brilliant. Okay, right. That's what we've got time for this week. We will be back next Monday when Jonathan and I will be joined by Clayton Beerman. Clayton, you think you got the short straw? Yeah. Clay- do you know why? Do you know why Clayton's got next week? I don't know. Why. Because out of all of all the people I asked, he was the only one that I, I who I it. knew. He, no, he was he was at the Battle of White Hart Lane. Oh, uh, really? So he therefore, yeah. I said you've got to be on the show then. If you were there, you've got to be on the show. <laughs> so there you go. So Clayton's on with us next week. We're going to be looking back at the seventy four seventy five season in our fifty years of Chelsea series. So that should be a right barrel of laughs. Uh, before that, on Friday, we've got another edition of my Chelsea, possibly with me getting my turn. Uh, Chelsea Fancast is available on podcast uh, as a podcast at ChelseaFancast.com, Acast, Apple, SoundCloud, and Spotify, as well as other podcast distributors. Uh, talking of which, uh, you can also find the Chelsea Fancast and other Chelsea podcasts on the CFC Blues app, as they so eloquently announce here. For Chelsea fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews, and the best Chelsea videos and podcasts. Download the free CFC Blues app now from the App Store and Google Play. And you can follow the show on Twitter at Chelsea Fancast. Me at Stanford Cheers. Jonathan at Jonathan Kidd. Dean at Dean Mears. Marco at Gate17. Marco. Uh, Joe at Joe Tweedy. Clayton at Goldie59. Tony at Gross Jet UK. Martin at Martin Wickham. Dan at DanSilv73. Liam at Liam underscore Toomey. And Alex at CFCGWLB. And of course, don't forget to check out our Instagram and Facebook accounts, which are at Chelsea Fancast. Um, also, big shout out to the lovely, slightly, I mean, a bit like Chelsea's last two or three seasons 71 to 74 the attendances were diminishing rapidly uh we we were all really talking about probably because we were shit and nobody had any money maybe that's what's happening with our mixler listenership jonathan <laughs> maybe we're shit and they don't have any money i don't know is it taking this long for you to realize that <laughs> no no um, you know we're shit and i know we are <laughs> 
But uh, it's just, it, but I mean, there's a Hardy band that do still come along. I think a lot of them want us to talk about football, but I, I, I really care so. about it's, that. It's tricky, isn't it? Because they like they like watching the game and then making their own judgment. Yeah, and then we I know. we either confirm it or, or or come from a different angle. It's it's tricky for them. So make well. Those that have stuck with us and come in here on a Monday night, I love you even more than I used to love you. So there you go. So thank you for that in Mixler. Right. Uh, Rick, absolute delight uh, seeing you apart from anything else. I miss our pints and our chats in the cock. Hopefully we can resume that sometime in the future. But thank you so much for spending a couple of hours with us on a Monday night and and giving us some really good insight as well. My absolute pleasure. Lovely to speak to you both. Yeah, you too, mate. JK, me old China. Good. Lovely as ever, mate. Uh, you and I will reconvene next Monday. I contributed. It was Rick and his glorious abilities and knowledge. But thank you. No, no, you were <laughs> Rick. Love it to be on the same show as you, Chidge. Thank you very much. You were you were fabulous as always, as you always are. Right, okay, you lot out there. Thank you for listening. See you next time. Until then, keep it blue, keep it carefree, keep it chills. Yeah, Up the chills. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.